Hi, this is Rich Buckler. You're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> That was special. Yes. That was very, very special. So special. So special. <laughs> Singing. <laughs> oh, so special. That's nice. You're happy. Why are you so happy? Because one of my favorite creators of all time is coming on tonight. Right? Seriously. Now, don't be all quiet, Vince, just because you don't like the guy. I don't know. I don't know what to do. <laughs> tough to get Chap Yap. Yes, I know. Chap Yapster. Chickity Chap Yap. What's he doing anyway? It's a great question. We should ask Rob. Yeah, he'll be on a little while. Rob, your buddy Chap. What's he doing? Hold him. Hold him things. Three hours later, no answer. <laughs> Dude, I gotta say, I'm getting kind of giddy about this Deadpool flick because we're starting to get Domino paraphernalia for the first time ever. But is it character in the movie Domino or is no? It... It's comic version. No way. There's Domino Pop Funko Pop. Mm-hmm. There's a Domino statue from Diamond Select on both of them, like white on rice. Well, can't, sure. Can't wait. Yeah. But it's, I mean, Funko puts out pops of pretty much anything that's ever existed in the pantheon of someone's mind, and they've never done a Domino one before. Unheard of. It's insane. It's, I can't even hear it. Crazy. Crake. All right, everybody. How y'all doing? It's another episode of 11 O'Clock Comics 525, and I am Vince B. Yes, yes, you are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Yes, you are, foul earthling, because I am Demas Harukan Balfagor III. Wow, that's a mouthful. But you're not. That's what she said. You, you are not Balfagor III. You're Jason Wood, everybody. What's what up? It feels what like it was like three weeks since we've done this. Oh, I know, right? Can't have it. How was everyone's nice. President's Day weekend? Nice. You guys hook it up with what i don't know <laughs> we talk everyone about, does it's a phenomenal movie but oh, yeah, other than that, sure you can't did. wait to go see it again with my booze on saturday heard what is that in the plan <laughs> you sound so excited no no <laughs> no it's not in the plan that i know of. we don't have a plan yeah, yeah for right for right now we don't <laughs> you hear the saltiness in Dap's voice. Dap likes to plan. He really does. He does. And you know who got, else got likes his, got his shit shower and shave down to a by the by the second blueprint. You forgot the ironing. Oh well, that's the weekend. He irons right. the weekend. <laughs> that'll be that'll be Sunday. That'll be Sunday after my haircut. After <laughs> after the, after. The, that's right after the home, after the, after the house call haircut. That's right after the concierge barber comes by. Damn Skippy, all the right. You, you don't Patreon have to... money being put to good use. All right, she... <laughs> you don't have to be pressed for time 
to get your oh. comics. I don't even know what I'm saying. Cheaply. Right. Just just go right on over to Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get all your books and get them for a fraction of the retail price, such as Big Doings this month, 10 different covers, 1,000 issues, Action Comics. It's a huge deal. One book. I've read the list many times. I'll give you some of them. Bendis's first stab at uh, the big blue Boy Scout. Uh, John Cassidy's in here. Paul Dini, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Patrick Gleason, who's been doing fantastic work on the the Superman title to begin with. Um, Doug Monkey's here. We got covers by Steranko, Mike Allred. It's crazy. It's a thousand issues of arguably the greatest superhero ever created. Seven ninety nine cover price, not for you. No way. You can have it for $3.99. Over at Dark Horse, our buddy Gabriel Hardman is taking a stab at the Aliens franchise. This thing is called Dust to Dust number one. F- cover price looks like three ninety nine, but you scoff at that because you're smart enough to go to DCBService.com. You will pay $1.00. 99 cents and last but surely not least we're going to make a citizen's arrest with robocop written by jason's cousin brian wood art by jorge cojelo this is a mini series i believe and the cover price is 3.99 but again it is to laugh you will pay $1.99. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions, and you get your books all shipped right up to your door, safe and sound. Ding dong. My books are here. Do you have cheese? No? Okay, I'll just take the books then. <laughs> you crazy. Go there. They're the best. Just placed my order. Me nice. too. I had to switch out. I swapped out my... Uh, Jim Lee action cover for another one. Good. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. And uh, if if folks are curious about some of the things we're most excited about this month, above and beyond Vince's read, we each did videos previewing previews this month. We did. So if you are a patron, you have hopefully already taken a gander. If you are a patron and have not, then go ahead and do so, because we each shared with you things that tickled our fancy. We sure did. What's the thing you were most excited about that you didn't just preview already? Wow. The thing I was most excited about that did not appear in my video, you mean? No, no, that you didn't say in the intro. Oh. When talking about discounts. I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah, it it turned out to be what I thought was a very small month, but it didn't pan out that way. There was a lot of things that ended up on my order this month. Mm-hmm. A lot of Kramer. manga. Oh, yeah? Yeah, a lot of manga this month. Kramer's Urget number 10? No. No? No. I enjoy it. I love it. But I think 30 bucks for 120 pages is way too expensive. Man, you got me converted. I bought it without even looking at the page count. But this is coming from the guy that did not buy seven. The giant one. Was that Kramer's? Or That's seven? the one you first turned me on to, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have it. I bought eight I bought seven, eight, and nine since you first introduced them to me. Wait, you have the big colossal? I do. Oh Jesus. I bought it at a C two E two, or ordered it rather at a C two E two. Yeah. I skipped on hey, it. Wish I didn't. I have a question for you. It was in my video. Um but 
I ordered the DuckTales. No, uh, I ordered the DuckTales Mysteries and Mallards trade paperback. Yes. But I noticed that it only collects issues three through five of the new series. So what happened to one and two? I think those were solicited um, a couple months back. I'm pretty sure that there was a DuckTales Volume 1 Weird. Of, of the new the new series, yeah. So they're, they're big enough issues that you can have two or three issues make up a trade? Yeah. Uh, the See, it's strange with IDW and the Duck Books. They do the same thing for Scrooge. When you buy a Scrooge trade, and I have one right here, oddly enough. They're never too far away. This is called... Uncle Scrooge the Third Nile, which collects IDW's Uncle Scrooge 23 to 25. So you're only getting three issues, but it's still 128 pages. They put, okay. they put the variant covers in the back, and I believe when they say 32 pages of art and story, you get 32 pages. And I believe Uncle Scrooge may be 48. Okay, cool. Yeah. But I read it in trade anyway, so I don't. I'm not entirely sure what the single issues um, run. But yeah, you don't get like it's not a, a standard DC or Marvel trade where you're getting mm-hmm. six to eight issues. So. so, so there's nothing that stands out to you that you're super excited about? Bean World Omnibus. We, ha- I have it all. I do too. Yeah. Domino number one? No. <laughs> no, oh, dude. But even though it's... You could at least it's, like Look it. who you're asking. <laughs> the, the artist, David Baldion, is amazing. I don't get yeah, the, the, the dismissive no there. Number one, you know I love her. Yeah. Number two, it's not like you aren't a huge fan of that pocket of the universe. I do. But see, Domino was like my least favorite member. Oh of, my God, you're of, such a sexist. I'm not hating a sexist. Hating on Storm, hating on Domino. No. No, 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 no. I wouldn't buy a GW Bridge series either. Well, that's crazy talk. <laughs> give, me, give me some cable, done well, and I'm there. I just got a GW Bridge Lego minifigure. Oh, my. <laughs> you hear that sound? That's them scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> no, that's Funko. Funko scrapes the bottom of the barrel. But, <laughs> Dap, what are you most excited about? Um, Damn. Plus my previews over to the side. It's um right. See that's when he says that. I'm looking for thing. the book and it's gone. I know. I think uh I'm trying to rewatch my video. The <laughs> the the Lawrence Block book being adapted by John K. Snyder the third. That has me intrigued because I've I, I've never read any of the Lawrence Block novels. Mm-hmm. Um but I like John K. Snyder and um those preview pages that were included with the solicit looked pretty sharp to my eye. So it's, it is a, um, it is, it's, yeah, that's probably, um, the one thing that, that when I, when I look at my, when I look at my order and I, I decide on where I'm making cuts and like the, the yellow submarine book is probably going to get cut. Um, but the, um, Eight million ways to die will be one of if it that's that's closest to the line where if if I have enough it's going in but if it'll be the last thing that will get cut before I place my order if I have to make any cuts. Right on, right on. Sure. I think that'll uh, 
Yeah, because I, when I because I I didn't uh, receive the uh, I didn't order it, but and and um, so I didn't get the Marvel preview, so I didn't, I couldn't go by anything they had in there. I was watching your video to see if anything that really stood out to me, and, and aside from the Domino, it really wasn't um, a whole lot this month. And the um, but yeah, Vince already mentions Action Comics. Um, there isn't. Uh, yeah, I kind of think that that would be because I wasn't expecting it either. It, so it's one of those things where it was just completely out of the blue. Although the um, the complete killer has my mm-hmm. uh, curiosity because I never did finish the entire series. Um, so it would be nice to actually have that in one yes. volume. Jacquemont, cool. Yes. Right on, right on. Um, yeah, man, I'm. I'm obviously excited about the the Domino and and the the Domino trade paperback, which collects all of her prior appearances, solo appearances, which are few and far between, I might add. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Dab, you, you know what I got to say? I was very surprised that you picked the John K. Snyder book. Really? Yeah. Why? I'm not feeling the art. Really? Mm-hmm. I because I saw it and and, and I was right there with the Sharpie, ready to circle it. And then the preview images didn't do anything for me. You were like Nelson? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. You know what else we're like Nelson about? What's that? The drink roll call, apparently. Wow, stretching it out. Mr. Fantastic in the house here. Um, (laughs) I am drinking El Vino del Misterioso. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is. El Stupido. Uh, I don't know where it came from, but it's good. Uh, tu eres El Stupido. Um, nice. Um, we'll let Dap go last because he always likes to. Uh, I am drinking... It's warm AF out here. It's it like, is, for real, though. Yeah, it was like 77 degrees up in here today. So uh, I dusted off some uh, Pacifico. Some some Mexican beer. Pacifico. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Uh, this was uh, this was recommended by your friend and mine, uh, and who we will see in Charlotte in June at Heroes, uh, Mr. Carl Slominski. This is Insurrection, a Shiraz Cabernet Sauvignon blend uh, from southeastern Australia. It is a um, it's it's on the dry side. I had a um, had a glass of of my um, of motto with 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 dinner, so that that was a little slightly sweeter, not as dry as this. And and it was um, and for some reason this is hitting me extra dry tonight. Whereas the first time I had it, um, not as much. But this is this is really. Um, this is good. I, I think the, the little bit of um, the sharpness is due to uh, some of the spice that is coming through. But it is a uh, it's it's a southeastern Australia red wine from uh, bottled in two thousand and fifteen. I dig the funky label too. It looks like something that Carl would actually illustrate. It looks like something that he would draw or paint. So I, I, I kind of dig that. Sweet. Do both of you want to talk about that uh, that movie you saw? <laughs> that movie. 
That little art house flick that uh, hopefully will make it a second week. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it, it might have just done enough box office to uh, to last a few more weeks in the theaters. <laughs> so, so tell me about it. Well, uh, I, I'll. I mean, I'll just say that it was a movie that I went into with extremely high expectations, which can often be problematic because setting yourself up for disappointment. I thought that the movie more than lived up to massive expectations and probably equally as important to the listenership. Um, everyone in the wood family loved it and thought it was one of the best superhero movies they ever saw. And so that's coming from diehard old guy, me, my wife who has no absolute zero history with the characters outside of the movies. Uh, she thought it was her favorite ever. Uh, and, Sons ranging from 14 to 9 all thought it was fantastic. So um, I'll uh, I'll leave it there for now and let Dap talk about uh, what he and Renee thought. Um, it, it moved my wife to tears. Uh, there are just certain th- – and, and it's as, as special uh, – important as as big deal as it is for me as a comic book fan as a black panther fan as as um as someone who's been enjoying the marvel cinematic universe uh it was big doings in my eyes but to sit next to someone who is is just experiencing it on a whole different level that i'll never be able to understand uh, or comprehend personally. I just kind of have to go by what she tells me. Um, just watching her reaction or, or, or seeing her witness it all, it, it uh, just made it different on a whole other level. And, and it's um, there. We did. There was no driving with the prices after we saw the movie uh, because there were just things that we need to um, SD compress. We're going to see it again, if not this weekend, then 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 by next weekend for sure. But uh, it's and there were things that she told me that that aren't my story to tell. But they're just I I I, I was able to um kind of get some sense of of why it because she's read Black Panther comics, but obviously and and you've seen other people comment on it and and it's it's, it's you have to be a, a an ignorant idiot to not understand why this is important for so many people and and for um for her to just have this representation and and I, everybody is um is intelligent and it was it was a clever movie and it was well written and it was it was, a, it was beautiful to look at and and uh, I I truly believe it gave us Marvel's first sympathetic villain. There there was you actually understood why Eric was doing what he was doing and 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 there were times where you were almost like it's it's very hard for me to to kind of root for the good guy in 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 some of these instances because. 
I get where he's coming from, and 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 it's it's a fucked up situation. But uh, no, there's there's a. It's also really good as a standalone movie. Yes, there's there's the connection to Civil War to to, to the to third Captain America movie, but you if you didn't see that, this would have been fine on its own. And the very last scene at the very end has no connection to the to the main movie. So again, even that, if if you didn't see that, it was still from the beginning to 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 the mid credit scene, uh, everything you need is right there. And and I thought the um the characters, all the characters were fantastic. Shuri is is just amazing to see on the screen. Uh it it is it's after I see it the second time, I'll have I'll know exactly where it falls on my list, but but right now it's it's um it's I don't know. Right now, it's not number one, but it's very, very close. And and again, but it's fresh. And and like Jason says, you know, it's it's very hard to kind of look at things objectively when they're still right there, fresh in your mind. You just saw it, so uh, it's something you kind of have to sit on and, and let it marinate. But um, it is it's it's a fantastic movie. You need to see it. Is is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I have to say that. Uh... I loved everything about the movie, but but Chadwick Boseman can go can go f himself for being forty one years old and looking like that. <laughs> looking like that, uh, so uh. this make, makes me sick. But but no, um, here's the thing, uh, and you know, obviously, I'm assuming everyone that listens kind of knows where you're coming from, but it wasn't so explicitly. I, I assume everyone, unless they're new, they might not realize that your wife is is African American, like. Yes, yes, you're right. You're <laughs> um, absolutely right. Yeah, it's yeah. not like you know some. Yeah. some I'm, I'm sure producer. most of our listeners know that by now, but but that was kind of the point you were getting at. Um, yes, and a, and a woman, which is I think equally important to this film. So that's what I was going to say. So so I'm a, I'm a 43 year old white dude who happens to adore the character much like much like that. It's one of your favorite characters, and you know you had posted something in the postscript on one of our groups about uh, it was a post written by Christopher Priest who I think we both agree wrote the best, the seminal Black Panther run. And um, it was his thoughts on the film. And um, very, I'm, I'm happy you shared that because it was very interesting to read his thoughts. And I was pleased that he was pleased, certainly. Um, but I was a little surprised in that he was elated by the film, but he made the point that he thought it wasn't his Black Panther. And I get where he was coming from in the sense that he said, uh, this Black Panther is new to the game, still yep. figuring out his, his life and his role. And I get that because certainly priest priest version of T'Challa was already established. So I, I understand where he's coming from there, but I have to say that, that um, I was still a bit surprised in his, his couching it that way, because to me, one of the things that made me adore this film so much is that, I thought that not only was the priest run strongly represented, but it was strongly represented in a wonderful way. Um, and so to me, you, you know, we all have our own baggage. You know, we geeks have a certain level of baggage to these films that the, that, that 95% of the people that see these films do not. And sometimes that can work for us. Sometimes that can work against us. And I'd say, the last few years, because frankly, these films now aren't unique experiences anymore. We, we were spoiled. We get a couple comic related films every year now. 
I found that it's worked against me more lately than for me, like with Thor Ragnarok or something where I find myself nitpicking things that irk me that uh, I just don't think are representative. And, and that's a me thing, right? That's a, cause the films are their own thing and they should be judged on their own merits. But sometimes that's hard when you have decades of predisposition about what a character's best portrayal should be. So I, I mean, the thing that I keep coming back to about this movie is I, even a week later, I, I, I don't have any nitpicks. Like I don't have anything that's rubbing me the wrong way that I thought, Oh, I wish they hadn't done that with this character. Right. Um, right. right. So, so the three things, you know, we don't want to spend too much time because we definitely want to spoil it because it is only a week old. But um, I will say that that um, the, the three things I will say are, one, I think it's the best of the films thus far on from a characterization standpoint. Meaning, and you alluded to this with the villain, Michael B. Jordan, every character in the film that I look back upon had logical, reasonable motivations, whether it be as a hero as a villain, as somewhere in between, everybody made decisions that on the screen made sense for what we knew of them. And that is something that rarely happens in a superhero movie. There's always some kind of conceit or, or, or leap of faith or non sequitur just to help drive the plot. So that's number one. Number two, again, I'm a 43-year-old white dude, so I'm probably not the best person to speak about the importance of this film from a cultural perspective. But I will say that it was still hella awesome even from my perspective and trying to appreciate that angle. Um, and I'm not going to lie. The opening sequences where we're introduced to Wakanda, I got oh. for clenched. I teared up. Oh. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, I'm a, I'm a grown ass man. I'll admit it, I teared up. It was that magical to see that on the, on the camera. And then last and certainly not least, while this film absolutely deserves the praise it's getting for the, the inclusive and, and, and captivating nature for people of color and seeing representation in that regard. I think this film is getting under appreciated, at least from what I've seen for what it does for women in these movies, because this film, I would, I would argue that if X, you know, X, the star himself, X, X T'Challa, Chadwick Boseman, the three best characters, the best actors in the film are women. Yep. And 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 I can't imagine Mario said it said it right when we were talking about this. I can't imagine if they took made this exact same movie and replaced those three women with male counterparts, how much different the film would have felt. And he's totally right. Those three women were exceptional uh in this movie. And and the, the and they were strong, vitally important characters. They weren't just hangers on or supporting pieces. They were vital components to the story, to the heroic arc. Uh, and frankly, all of them saved T'Challa's ass at some point in the film. Oh yeah. Um, so I just huge props to that. And um, yeah, I mean, I just, I think the film hit all the right notes. It looks beautiful. The soundtrack's phenomenal. Um, I, I'm hoping to go back this Saturday uh, again. And uh, much like you, I, I'm always hesitant these days to rank a film right after seeing it because um you know you have to let them stew but i will say that that objectively going through the list i can't see how this doesn't settle into my top five at a minimum and it's definitely pushing its way higher up the, the only film i think it's going to be hard for, for to to the the only films i think it'll be hard to dethrone for me are the first avengers and and not because i think the first avengers was a better film i don't think it is but because 
much like, you know, the first time you discover a band as a teenager and that's always your favorite band or the first time we read comics, seeing the Avengers, which is one of my teams, one of the teams I most, I, I hold dear, seeing them all together on screen for the first time is something I'll never forget. So, so oh, that's, hmm? no, no, what? you're, you're, you're right. Because it, it's when I, when I was doing my, my list and I was trying to move things around, cause there've been 18 movies, including Spider-Man homecoming. Mm-hmm. And, um, we watched Ant-Man again last week. We watched Ant-Man, then we watched civil war and then we went to go see black Panther. So Ant-Man, ha- we've, we've watched Ant-Man probably as much as any of the other earlier movies. So my list is based on basically rewatchability. And and you're absolutely right. When you get to something like the Avengers for you, then yes, that's going to, it may not be one of the best, but, but still it's, that's big doings for you. So I can definitely see why it would rank so high for you. Yeah. And then the other film, which you just touched on is uh, civil war. I, I think that film is pretty incredible as an action film. Um, so, but also I don't know that it's as, fully well composed as this film. I just think there are more geek out moments in the film. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it's certainly right up there with those in, in guardian, the first guardians of the galaxy for me. Yeah. Um, which is just a totally different thing, right? I mean, that's, oh a, yeah, that's a space action comedy and, um, just a totally different vibe, but man, I mean, um, I joked on our Facebook group that, uh, the Russos and, and, and Ryan Coogler should be, should be given all the superhero films just alternate every other year. But, uh, but all kidding aside, I mean, Coogler crushed it. He's, um, you know, he, he, Marvel does not have him under contract for a sequel and they better get him locked up with the quickness. And I think that that, that's part of the reason why, uh, the movie is shown or is, is presented was, was edited the way it is. Um, it's it is by no means it's not a perfect movie there, there are a couple things if i if, if i want to think on it uh especially towards the climax i think there's maybe one or two scenes that we may have missed that probably we don't need to see because you're seeing it and 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 things that are pretty self-explanatory but i think you know a, a lesser movie would have kind of tried to hammer that point home and and i'll tell you about it after jason but it's um you know so no it, it is not perfect but it is still damn entertaining and from beginning to end you get everything you need to see uh, but he uh there's there's a there's one final scene of the movie before the credits where originally i yeah. think they were going to put that scene mm-hmm. in the mid credits and then the scene that's in the mid credits they were going to have end it but that would have kind of left it more open or just not as 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 concise and and coogler wanted to kind of just say listen if, if if this is his only and i i i seriously can't i mean if they if if they're given the russos all the, if gun has already done two guardians and, he, and he's tapped for the third um you know joss did his couple i i, I can't imagine that and i don't i don't know who's doing the ant-man sequel i don't know if ant-man and the wasp is also being done by the same guy off the top of my head, I don't know, but I, I would, it, it's crazy. You're right. They absolutely do need to lock that down. But if for some reason, if this is his only chance at a Marvel movie, this is his only chance at black Panther, then he told his black Panther movie and, and, and everything you need is, is right there. Yeah. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's a, um, there, there are just the fact that, uh, 
you know, I, I know that I, I was a little bit, not, not bummed, but it, it almost felt a little bit like a waste speaking of civil war where, where crossbones is pretty much there and done. And, and I'm like, you know, they, they, not that he's one of the greatest cat villains of all time, but it just still feels like, well, that was okay. And that was it. But, um, there's a villain in this movie where you're probably not going to see him in future Marvel movies. And, but it was fitting for the story here. I might not have wanted to see that happen, but it, it, it actually, it made sense. And, and, um, I think that there were just, um, there really isn't anything like you said, Jason, that, that, that I could nitpick or complain about it. I mean, there, there, you could play armchair director and, and think about how things could have played out. But I mean, as, as the way it was, as the way it was given to us, um, there's, there really aren't any problems I have. I, I think, um, everybody was fantastic. Shuri was absolutely, uh, I, I love her cue to, to T'Challa's bond and, and just the whole, and, and the, what are those? And, and she wasn't, she was, she, she's smart. She's very intelligent. And I think that that, I, I know that in the, in the 616 and in, in, in the comics, you know, T'Challa is one of the smartest most intelligent people in the Marvel universe here, because he's, he is a young King and, and he's new to being black Panther. Um, he's more of a, he, he's, he's not scientist level smart. He's, he's more of a tactician and, and uh, he's, he's, I think he's trying to, he's obviously figuring things out as they go. Whereas I, I like that they kind of split T'Challa's abilities between him and his sibling. And, and she is just, I, I can't wait to sh- for her to share screen time with Tony Stark and with Bruce Banner. I'd love to see what her and rocket can cook up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are just things that, I mean, the mind just reels with possibilities. And, and I, I was mesmerized by her. Pro- I, I mean, Nakia was great. And, and, and of course, yeah, Goyo was, was, fantastic in her role and and even even when even when Nakia's like you know you got to come with us and 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 we're saving the queen and we're and she's like i i can't leave this is what this is and 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 you can't you can't be mad at her because she's mm-hmm. she's standing up for i mean that's her so uh but anytime anytime sherry was on the screen i was just like that's that's where my focus was and and i i, I loved everything about her and and uh yeah, you have you, you can have smart characters, intelligent characters. You could have you know somebody like you know Sherlock from the BBC series, and he's he's kind of an asshole. He's a prick you really don't want to want to hang out with. Yes, he's smart and he knows it, but it's that's his personality, and and he can rub you the wrong way. Sure, he is smart and you know it, but you can still. She's joking around with her brother. She's she, she's a lot more relatable, even though she is so damn intelligent and. I like that they didn't try to make her awkward or, or unapproachable. And it just, it completely all around was just a, a, I, a it's a great time. I picture Renee laughing out loud when, uh, Shuri said, Oh, you're bringing me another injured white boy to fix. Yes. Oh my God. No, there were two, two times. She goes, another white boy to fix another broken white boy to fix. But when, when, uh, when, whenever Ross wakes up and she's like, oh, don't Kansas. scare me colonizer. 
he oh, was, oh. <laughs> lost it. It was and and the woman, the woman sitting in the pod next to us at the theater, she was and she was clapping and hooping at every chance. She was sitting by herself, and I'm like, I don't know if she's a fan of the comics. I don't know if she's just an MCU fan, but I'm like, we need to sit next to her at all the movies because she had a fantastic mm-hmm. time. I loved it. But no, yeah, no, she, Renee cracked up whenever Shuri cracked a joke. Uh, but and and she, she saw. Um, she is a really big Tupac Shakur fan, and and it, it's there were a lot of things that Killmonger said that reminded her of Tupac, and and that also um, hammered some of what he was, some of his motivations uh, home. So it, it, mm-hmm. it just like with us and our baggage and what we come in with, she she had her own to a degree, and and uh, there it, it's a deep movie. It it it's it just. You you leave here like Priest said. You leave this movie and you like you want to clean up your community. You want to do things for people. You, it put this movie puts you in a good mood, um, whereas some other movies just you know feel some doom and gloom afterwards. But this was this was just a a great time. If I, I know that you know some people were trying to see it last week because they just figured, well, I'll wing it. I'll just show up at the theater. And I mean, there was a tickets were sold out weeks in advance, and and. Uh, I know a lot of people couldn't make it to certain shows, and some people have. Obviously, it, it, it's it's been almost a week. But uh, if you haven't, it, you you really need to see it. Not even just as part of the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe franchise and where it fits in, just for a good time with solid characters and really really great writing. Uh, you should see this movie. Well said. Nice. And by the way, uh, the director of Ant-Man and the Wasp is Peyton Reed. Same guy who directed. Yes, same guy. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yep. Great. Cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Can't wait for you to see it. Seriously. Eventually. Eventually I'll see yes. it. Dude, your girl Michonne is in it. I love her. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. Oh, oh did. Um, apparently. Um, Lauren Cohen is, has a pilot with ABC, so I don't know. Oh if, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If Maggie's going to be on Walking Dead after uh, season eight's done. Maybe she just have the baby and go into hiding or something. Maybe. Never. Or know. she could still. She could not be credited with the. She she could be. You know, she could be a guest star every once in a while. It's not like she. They've done that. It, it's once you're in contract and and you're credited at the you're, you're a cast member build it at, at the beginning during the credits then uh, you know obviously that that's your contract and you can't do anything else but if you're you can be a guest star so Dude, i we'll can't see. believe that this show's been on the air for eight years seriously that's a long time to play the same characters man <laughs> I know. I yeah know. and i don't yeah. and it's not like i mean at least in the comics obviously after um after the war with negan and 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 the community they you know they've Kirkman has I don't know if he actually said how long a time has passed but there has been a passage of time whereas the first hundred or so issues was kind of just rapid procession this was um so yeah but this as far as the show itself it's they haven't done really any time jumps there hasn't been anything that you know would let you know that you know months have gone by and and this is where we are now it's it's 
pretty much, I don't know how many months the outbreak, if you want to call it that, or the the change happened, but it, it's not, it's been less time on the show than it has in the comics. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to me um, that Lauren Cohen, in 2018, Lauren Cohen can't automatically be offered the same salary that Norman Reedus and Andrew Lincoln get. Like I, that, that makes no sense to me. Oh, still. Yeah. Like they they are, they are equivalent parts to the, to the, to the show. There's like, there's no earthly reason other than those two people have dicks. (laughs) They should like, I mean, it it really doesn't make any, like it's, it is totally unjustifiable. I can't fathom why in in that situation it, it would, it just makes, there's, it's totally indefensible. Like it's completely indefensible. And none of them were bigger stars than she was coming into this either, especially, you know, and it's been eight years regardless. So, um, good for her. I hope, I hope her, her pilot is a smashing success. My wife has a, has an infatuation with, uh, Scott Foley, who is her co-star in this new pilot. So it will be a show that we watch together. Cause Oh, Scott Foley, uh, was he from Felicity? Was he one of the, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, he's a good looking dude. Yep. Vince, you've been so quiet. Tell us something that you've been reading. (laughs) What have I been reading? I did a little bit of uh, traveling in the Wayback Machine this week. Mm. Yeah, I read some Archie, but not nice. yeah, but not the Archie you would expect. Having read comics for a very long time, you notice trends. Um, Archie comics have been trying to get people excited for the red circle superheroes Mm -hmm. pretty much forever. Mm -hmm. Um, They had their heyday and that's a relative heyday. They were never as popular as uh, those, uh, the heroes from other companies, but I think they're great heroes um, and anti-heroes, but for whatever reason, they never really caught on. Um, and Archie made another valiant attempt in the early 80s to, to popularize the Red Circle heroes. Uh, the comic in question is called Blue Ribbon Comics. Ran for 14 issues. Um, and it was an anthology. But not um, a multi-hero anthology. Each issue focused on a particular hero. The next one issue would focus on the fly. Then the next one would be the black hood. And then maybe the shield, uh, the fox would come up, uh, agents of Atlantis. And then, um, there's even one with the thunder agents. But again, again, it, it only lasted 14 issues, never really caught on. But the roster of creative talent on this, uh, series is astounding. Mm-hmm. It was edited, by and large, by Rich Buckler. Yep. Rich contributed to the covers. He wrote a lot of the stories. There's even some Buckler pencils in it. His name is all over these comics. It, it, it's a healthy run. The notable issues, I read all 14, but I'm not, I mean, obviously I can't go into detail on all 14. Issue number five features the shield. Lancelot Strong. It's the one of the very few issues that's all reprints because it features the work of Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. You know, <clears throat> yeah. 
number six features The Fox, Paul Patton, written by Buckler and Timmons, art by Tony DeZunega. Nice. Yeah, it has a very, uh, the flavor is very Master of Kung Fu. You got your 70s style martial arts mayhem. But, uh, and there's two stories. There's a main story, and you got your backup. The backup is illustrated by Dick Ayers with inks Mm -hmm. by Adrian Gonzalez. Uh, Number eight, which was edited by Robin Snyder. Zach's oh, ears. Wow. Yeah, Zach's ears just, just perked up. Yes. And Robin has an ongoing text piece in uh, the bulk of the, the series where the, um, the red circle, uh, the blue ribbon red circle stuff is, uh, he does like an index. Um, so number eight features the black hood, which is written and drawn by the amazing Gray Morrow. It features a pull-out center spread poster of the Black Hood by Alex Toth. And there's a second Black Hood tale illustrated by some guys named Neil Adams and Dick Giordano. <laughs> Do we know who these people are? I don't know. Number, <laughs> number 10 showcases Tommy Troy, a.k.a. The Fly, again with a handful of reprints drawn by Joe Simon and Bob Powell. George Tusk is in there. Dick Ayers. 11 is more Black Hood. The lead is drawn by Dick Ayers and Chick Stone. The backup is drawn by Carmine Infantino and Eduardo Barreto. This is very close to my uh, my favorite issue of the series. Number 13 features a Thunder Bunny tale (laughs) illustrated by David. If it's Thunder Bunny. Oh, crap. Brian Buniak. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I remember the signature. Yes. And there's a a wraparound cover on this issue illustrated by Buniak, but it's inked by Joe Sinnott. What? This is like, it's like an all-star team. Uh, But my favorite issues are number nine, which showcases the agents of Atlantis. You got Agent Neptune and the Outcast, who's a kid who had a very serious bout of pneumonia. He ended up losing a lung. But fortunately, Daddy was a scientist. So what did Daddy mm-hmm. do? Daddy put gills on his son. So the kid was ostracized, hated, uh, quote, air breathers. Um, and he stages this mock suicide where he jumps off a bridge and takes off all his clothes and his, you know, vital information, his license gets, you know, discarded. And he heads out as this character called the Outcast. And what he does was he starts fucking around with naval ships. There, there's a, um, a submarine that's, that's doing these combat maneuvers. And he believes that because it's combat maneuvers, the ammunition's not live. So he starts fucking with the, you know... The, the outcome of it turns out that the ammo was live and he nearly killed a bunch of people. And um, Neptune scolds him like, what did you do? Blah, blah, blah. You know, so he ends up ultimately joining the agents of Atlantis. So there's two stories in here, both illustrated by Malcolm Davis and inked by Ricardo Villagran. Like this is massive stuff. Um, 
the second story, there's an alien and he, he's birthed out of a pyramid. It's crazy. Uh, he comes to Earth hating all, you know, humanity wants them all dead. And the agents of, of um, Atlantis come out and they, they try to help. The agents in question, and there's a, there's a center spread, a double page spread in here. The agents of Atlantis. And it says, Neptune, Vortex, Hurricane, Nebula, Dolphin. Woo! You get the pyramid. And there's, no, there's this alien landscape. The colors, oddly enough are very much like the books we're about to talk about with, with our guests. Colors are eye-searing. And you get this huge pyramid with all these alien runes or, or crazy-ass alphabet on it. And there's statues of dead alien gods. And this thing is like, comes to Earth, and here comes the agents of Atlantis, and they're going to help out. It's just like, this is, these are feel-good comics. And, and, did you say when were they published? 84, 84. Okay. Yeah, so right when Transformers were almost the biggest things going and uh, Masters of the Universe, these comics were coming out. 75 cent cover price. There's a, a an advertisement in this issue. I love it. Zorcom, the Defender versus <laughs> Tanjar, the Dread. Zorcom says, "Surrender, Dread." You're no match for me. There's no apostrophe, R-E. It's, oh. it's your no match for me. Brutal. And, and Tanjar says, never, Zorkan. I live for your destruction. What this thing was, it's an audio cassette. <laughs> what? You would send out for an audio cassette that hear the attack of the dreaded Haka beasts. Listen to laser-controlled beams as Zorcom maneuvers inside the caverns of invisible doom. Brace for the surge of power that rockets your spaceship, all caps. Feel the chill of the audio adventure series. One step beyond the thrills of the comic book, the next frontier in fantasy adventure. Watch for volume two. Never happened. I wonder why. <laughs> wonder why. But, and... My buddy Zach, if he doesn't know about this already, he's going to be heading out to the, the cheapy bins looking for this because issue 12 features Wally Wood's Thunder Agents. Yes, the higher United Nations Defense Enforcement Reserves. I love these characters. No Man and Dynamo and Iron Maiden. Mm -hmm. They're all here. It's, um, the main story is by Paul Bolano and Willie Bleiberg. The cover's by Willie Bleiberg. It's astounding. But the backup features No Man. And it's... The inks are by Willie Bleiberg. Do you know who penciled this thing? Now, I said hmm. Zach, so what's the name? Well, I mean, in, in the Tower the tower books, it's not well, Woods Thunder Agents, they, No Man's stories were, were penciled by Ditko. Okay, well, and go. this is no different. This is penciled by Steve Ditko. Bleiberg over Ditko is really special. That's cool. It, it kind of gives a little more shape to Ditko's figures. Ditko could be kind of, well, he could be kind of rubbery at time, which served him well on Spider-Man. But mm -hmm. the, the malleable nature of the human form we've seen, you know, doesn't always serve Ditko well. Bleiberg reigns him in, and this is, this is super slick. The lines, they're very much like 
I don't know if I should say this, but Bleiberg kind of inks like Terry Austin. Okay. Yeah. 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 Especially yeah. on Ditko. Yeah. So if you can picture Steve Ditko with a little bit of Terry Austin over him, that's exactly what this looks like. It is phenomenal. And the creatures that Ditko creates, um, there's experiments going on. There's mad scientists, experiments, kidnaps a woman, you're going to die. I need you as raw material for my experiments. And these these creatures come crashing out of these glass tubes. There's a, an, a skinny-ass elephant with teeny tiny ears and a long trunk. There's a, a vulture-hawk-bear kind of hybrid. I mean, this is it's, it's pure Ditko, and it's all amazing. If you have time and the inclination and you're at a convention, I would not doubt that this entire series could be had for under 15 bucks. And it's it well worth having in your collections. Stellar artists, fun stories. Uh, the sense of wonder is on every page. It's an interesting little postscript, too, that it came out in 84 because that was such an important year for comics in general. Oh, yeah. Right? And then this little hidden gem in a pocket of the universe that doesn't get talked about a lot was also in that same year. That's uh, God, that was a halcyon time for comics. You're not kidding. But they're amazing. Um I know my comic shop has uh, every issue probably for under $2. I mean, mm-hmm. if you don't want to search for them, you can get them in one swell foop on uh, my comic shop on the cheap. I don't believe these have ever been reprinted. So you got you got to you got to dig for the singles. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so do it. All right. We have a guest waiting in the wings and we're going to go grab him. So go refresh you your drink. The wind beneath my wings. Seriously. Mm-hmm. But we're going there. All right. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. And uh, this has been a very long time in the works. In my estimation, the guy you're about to hear is the most dynamic, challenging, amazing comic artist on the planet. There is no better. Well, I'm just being truthful. He is the <laughs> writer-artist behind such gems as Raw Power, number one and two, Rom, uh, many issues uh, featuring Rom, Suspect Device, uh, Theth, Mr. Incompleto. He also is working on the other side of the comics equation, writing and spearheading the all-time comics line, We've talked about these books many times. Crime Destroyer, Atlas, Blind Justice, Bullwhip. He is the Superman to my bibbo. I love this dude so much. Mr. Josh Bayer is in the house. Wow. What an <laughs> intro. Thank you. Uh, I can't help it. You make the kind of marks I want to see. It's like... It's like Fred Blassie inter, uh, introducing um, uh, Vladimir. I'm going to massacre his last name. It's like Fred Blassie introducing one of his wrestlers. It's awesome. <laughs> Stick with me, buddy. I'll take you far. <laughs> so how's it going? Everything's great. Awesome. You, you've had an amazing, what, year and a half? The last? Um, yeah. The with the all time comics line, and yeah, uh, 
about, I think we launched our first book last March. But okay. really, when I go back and look at old emails, I mean, I think we've been working on this thing since 2013. Well, right. That's the thing I wanted to ask you uh, primarily. I remember when you solicited three, I think, books on your website. All right. And they, as they were originally going to come out of retrofit? Is that- I don't know about that. I think it was on. I think it was undetermined. Oh, okay. But just clue us in as to the journey that this all-time comic line came from conception to actually seeing the light of day. Um. Well, I think that. Think that we first started working on it. My brother invited me to spearhead a superhero project he wanted to do and he's working on he's working on a big design for what he want, he has some stuff in mind for uh, launching a film based on sort of like a stuff that happens after these comics um after the period this comics takes place during in fact his script as i understand it it's a little bit like uh oh shit what was i comparing it to it's like as if these comics are uh like if they did a movie about billy the kid like some kind of movie about what the real guy was like and somebody waved the chat book under his nose and was like this is who you are he's going to be doing a version of the heroes which is really different than our comics these are kind of like the fake adventures of these heroes so that was he just kind of wanted something to that he could bring to a company and say I'm trying to do this company I'm trying to do this comic and he thought it would be fun and he asked me if I, I could get, make something that looked like a real comic and you know he knew that I had done editing and that um, and and that I'd had my pause in every facet of comics production that I could do and he thought I would bring a lot to it so he was like can you get some of the old timers and then I started pitching some of the newer people. And it just turned into what it, you know, it turned into this experiment that it is that, uh, that it, uh, that you, um, is now, uh, in existence in the, in the shape of six issues. Right. So that was 2013 mm-hmm. and the dominoes start falling pretty quickly. I got a hold of everybody that I wanted to, I mean, there's a few people, there's still a few people that, um, we would love to work with that we weren't able to track down. Like uh, Jeff Purvis, I think his name is. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. People like him, like obscure, you know, um, uh, some people are busy. Some people are off the radar. Uh, and, um, and and ultimately, we don't have 20 issues to hire everybody we'd like to. But we have, um, we have you know, the six issues so far. And then what we're doing for the next season. So, yeah, so I, we, th- that invitation for my brother kicked it into it started the project off and it started to started to gain momentum and uh what else do you want to know about it just kind of a behind the scenes glimpse Hello? into the the uh the amount of work and planning that goes into a series like this i mean because you have some names well all of the names are are stellar but herb trimpy i believe this the Crime Destroyer number one was yeah. Herb Trimpey's last published work. I think that he might have been 
had his daughter would might know more than me, um, who I talk to pretty regularly, uh, or relatively regularly. I'm in touch with. Um, I think that he might have had something that was on the drawing board that was maybe even left unfinished, and I think he might have done something after trying to destroy her technically. But I think it was the last. I think it was more major than those books. I think it was longer, um, and uh, so it was. It was close to being his last project. Okay, because he did a couple issues of um, BPRD. That that's yeah, did he do back, backup stories with Guy Davis inking? Hmm, I remember um, David. What was the name of it? Something of War of Frogs, I think. That he did the the main story, but um, that's the kind of thing with with Trimpy. The work was so infrequent when he popped up. There was really no heads up there was no advance yeah, warning yeah. That, that he was going to do some work um but uh, i was lucky enough to have uh met the man and, oh, and good for you. yeah and shook his hand and he was so humble he was an amazing amazing yeah. talent like here's a guy that spanned my entire tenure as a comics reader like when i was coming up he was drawing the hulk and yeah i i couldn't really pick between him and jack like i love jack kirby he's mm. he's you know my all-time favorite but trimpy stuff is is in many ways very comparable to kirby's and it's yeah. just like he just spun my head around and then here it is 40 years later he's working on a bprd comic like yeah oh yeah he was a very young he was 75 i think when he passed away he was a very young seeming 75 yeah it's incredible it's like uh, he was doing stuff. I grew up on those reprints that he did that were in Marvel comic um, origins of Marvel comics. I mean that Submariner Hulk comic is that Marie Severin inked mm. is like completely engraved in my brain, like every nice. frame. It's also another one that we had at the house that his daughter is always posting as being something that seemed to affect her a lot. And it's funny, we had the same issue. It was an issue where the Hulk and the Thing are fighting on the cover of a Hulk comic, I think. And I, uh, same thing. I used to look at that issue and look at it and look at it. And uh, after he passed away, uh, hi, Sarah. I know I'd be talking about her so much. Uh, his daughter, Sarah, she recreated the cover of that issue um, just to, I think, as a way of processing um, what her dad meant to what her dad meant to her, and and it's just, I don't know if you guys know the issue, but it's um, it is uh, it's I think it's also pretty early in the run. It's when Marie Severin was inking it. Yeah, Marie doesn't get enough credit. No, she doesn't. No, she's she's, she's phenomenal. She is she's alive, right? I guess her health isn't very good though. Yeah, she's still alive. yeah she's still alive. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, yeah, and Vince, you were right. I mean, the War of Frogs was uh, 2008. That was when yeah. he, he put that out. Okay. Um, and now you said you met Trimpy. I know, was that that was when we met him too, or you mean other times? No, I. I he, wish. Oh, sorry. No, he he actually came to Scranton. Oh, were you not was with us when uh, when we met? No, we went to Baltimore, dude. Oh, that was Baltimore. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, so we got to meet Trimpy, and he drew on. Uh, actually, as, he's on my jam. One of my jam pieces. Came to Scranton, Pennsylvania, in this little rinky dink. Uh, convention in a clarion hotel and there was maybe like you know a hundred people in, in attendance and uh, the majority of them just passed by his table and it's like 
this is Herb Trimpey. You guys should be genuflecting yeah. by his table, you know? Um, but Josh, so, so you came up as, uh, as an avid comic reader, like as a kid, you, you devoured. Oh him. yeah. I was obsessed with him. Absolutely. Um, in fact, when I did ROM, I didn't really do, I tried to do it because it was one of the few comics that I didn't read. And I thought that I could kind of, in a weird twisted logic kind of way, I thought that I'd be able to, uh, deal with it more objectively or with less sentimentality or, uh, yeah, but I, I uh, yeah, absolutely. I was ten years old when Teen Titans One was launched, and that was just at the age where I was I was able to like get on my bike. You know, I was able to get on my bike and bike a mile and a half across town to the drugstore, and I could cut, scrape up forty cents and buy it. Um, I got. I was uh, yeah, I was very very obsessed with comics. So, uh, what was your uh, childhood like? Um, kind of like, kind of like thefts, I guess. You know, I was like, uh, uh, grew up in Ohio, uh, very, um, very, uh, uh, very obsessed with comics. Um, came from a household where I was kind of over, kind of over controlled. A lot of um, there's a lot of rules in my house. And uh, the first one of the major things was that my parents wouldn't let me read or draw comics for long, long periods. But, I mean, virtually <laughs> my whole like right past the point I talked about when I was 10. So virtually from the time I was 10 all the time through when I was a teenager, I was uh, and, and the more I wasn't able allowed to do it. Of course, that just cinched the deal. The more I became obsessed with it. And it wasn't like I, you know, there was all I was always I mean, I teach now, and I have kids like this that are always doing the wrong thing. Um, and I, was kind of, I was the same kind of kid. So, um, and I must have been, you know, very annoying. Uh, but, um, and, and I have trouble even today keeping, you know, keeping, um, being patient with kids who are, are the way that I was. I'm, de- I'm teaching, uh, I teach large kids classes three times a week. And, um, uh, you know, every now and then, um, I'll have a kid who I just see it in them. They want to, they're not teenagers yet, but they really want to rebel. And, uh, you know, you'll have a kid who I'll be trying, if they'll let me teach them how to do art, uh, there's, and they follow some steps, uh, then they can really yield a lot of results. But in my mind, I'm like, just listen, just follow the steps of this recipe and you can cook something. And that's, if you don't follow the recipe, you'll be throwing eggs around and it will be a mess. And in my mind, that's really reasonable. And to these kids, I'm telling them what to do. And that's how I was. So they'll, those are the kids who, uh, I'll look, I'll turn around and I come back and they're taking wet paper towels and putting them inside two Tupperware containers and shaking them like a maraca instead of doing the lesson. And that's really, you look at say that's really creative. And of course, part of me is like, clearly this kid has something screaming in him, which is just telling him to bang on some drums or something like that. Uh, it's, it's really, it makes me feel deeply conflicted because the kids that listen, I actually, I really need them to participate and to actually let me, let me like impose some order. But I was the type of kid who couldn't stand order. And it just got worse and worse 
through every single grade that I went through. So I, later on, I was diagnosed with, I was diagnosed with adult, adult ADD uh, when I was like 29 or 30. And if you look at my career, I didn't really start doing comics until I was 35. So it was right. It was five years after I got an ADD meds as an adult, went back to school, went to SVA, learned how to do comics. And then I've been, you know, kind of, so I'm a little, I'm kind of like 10 or 15 years um, behind a lot of my peers, like people like Box Brown, he's exactly 10 years younger than me. And um, that's the course things took for me. Interesting. So there is a, a, a large component of the, like the Theth book and Mr. Incompleto that are semi-autobiographical? Um, I wouldn't say no to that. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. Right. I yeah. Mean, I mean, everything we do factors into our work. So there's, there's no avoiding it, but I, the, the, the conversations the characters have in those books, they're very real. They ring, oh, thank you. They, they, they ring true and bordering on uncomfortability. I mean, there's a, there's a very, um, it's almost a hyper realism because I feel like I'm not reading something. I feel like I'm eavesdropping on that's real great. people. That's great. I, um, that's what you, you got to fake realism, you know, and you always, you know, you're always aware of it being an artifice. So that's really, I'm really glad to hear that. I try to make it, um, feel authentic and I try to write stuff that has, uh, comes from an emotional place. And if you can afford to do that and imbue your stuff with spontaneity, it's great. What's sad is when cartoonists get so – you look at somebody from the 70s, like some of those weird Marvel guys, and you read their early stuff, and it's so interesting and raw. And then you see how they just kind of had their – they kind of just you – don't, you don't have that many comics in you that you can maybe do. I mean, how many people stay good for 50 years aside mm -hmm. from Alan? They, um, especially people who are in that kind of entertain, are in that doing comics as entertainment, as opposed to people who are more like auteurs, like Adrian Tomine or somebody like that, who does a comic when he feels like it, and it's more of a in a Raymond Carver mode. But you look at somebody like, um, not to pick on him, like Steve Englehart or somebody like that, it's like their comics are so good early on, and then you read them years later, and it's just like. You, you feel like the, the grind of doing hundreds of comics over 10 years and has just has just made them unable to do good work. Right. It's kind of so, like John Byrne. I, it's exactly like him. You know, mm -hmm. it's like I was just ta saying to somebody, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Next Men. Maybe not every issue, but there's some issues. Some parts of that book are just uh, as as good as anything – anybody is doing with making kind of postmodern superheroes the the textures in them are good the obsessiveness over little details are, is good and some of his marvel stuff too it's like first 12 issues of alpha flight are amazing and even hell though, yeah yeah and you guys ever you know what i you know i was obsessed with when i was a kid is uh there was an issue a hulk annual where he fights sasquatch and john Byrne wrote it and I read that thing over and over and over again when I was a kid. Did you guys ever read this issue? It's like yes. 79. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, I read yeah. it as an adult. It's got this weird feeling of, first of all, it's got this weird feeling of alienation to to it, but it also is like it's not just like the Hulk does things. There's like a there's like a logic to stuff that happens. Like at the beginning of the comic, he crashes from outer space into the Earth, and even though he's the Hulk, his face is buried in the ground, and he's going to suffocate. And so this girl comes and trying to dig him out. And it's kind of like real plausible, you know, there's tension involved with it because there's, um, you know what I'm saying? There's uh, a, um, he actually went through the trouble of thinking like, what would this, how would you get out of this situation? How long would it take to dig his face out of the dirt? Right. Yep. You know, the enthusiasm in your voice um, for these old, mainstream superhero comics it's i i've watched the cycles where the the off the beaten path cartoonists the the alt and the indie guys for a lot of years and it's it was probably largely due to the gary groth beating the hell out of them you know in in the pages of the journal saying Superhero comics are bad. You're an alternative cartoonist. You cannot go down that route. It, it leads to, to oblivion. Guys like you and, and Jim Rugg and uh, Tom Scholey and Ben Mara, especially, you know, Ben Mara. You, Pisker. You, you, Ed Pisker. FIFA. Oh, of course, Ed Pisker. Yeah. Defeat Michelle Yeah. Yeah. You, you embrace the genre. It's, it's not um, a stigma. As, mm. as Gary would have, have seen it. it. It's more of a, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. So what? We like superheroes. There, there's been great superhero stories. The, the fact that you have, you know, like I said, you, you, you embrace the genre. It's just so refreshing. And it just makes me feel like alt comics as a, as a maybe it was an, an, an unspoken agreement where all you guys now seem to have agreed like, yeah, there's nothing to be ashamed of. In, in this stuff. Yeah, I, I felt like um, in the 90s, I felt like uh, um, I remember being reading a lot of editorials against, um, uh, against not only against superhero comics, but there was a point where Autobio became very passe as well. Right. Yep. And, and uh, I remember it being very paralyzing for me. So it was... Um, I, I remember in the early nineties, I actually was doing comics when I was like 18 and, uh, I dropped out of art school and, um, I would read the comics journal and, uh, kind of it became my substitute for studying, uh, you know, take for college for university classes. So I gave them a lot of credence and I found that what I found the comics journal really inspiring, but also kind of paralyzing. Right. And, <laughs> I remember um, stopping doing a couple comics I was doing in the middle uh, for, for a bunch of reasons, but partially it was because I felt like these smart, these smart writers were saying that it um, were saying that what I was doing was, wasn't worthwhile. And if I was the genius, I would think of some other way to make this art medium worthwhile. And this is the same type of thing I heard years later uh, when I was a fine art major in college and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you guys should go out there and recreate the wheel. 
And I remember around the same time I was going back to art school, which was 2003, uh, Jeffrey Brown was coming out. And here's this guy, again, 10 years younger than me. I'm 47 now. So in 2003, I was 33. And I think he was... I think he was still in his twenties and, or I was reading stuff he was doing from 99. So he was probably 23 then. And I was like, here's the guy who never, he's too young to have read those editorials and he's doing superhero stuff and autobio. And he didn't read the article saying what was passe and have, uh, didn't have, it, this wasn't crushed for him. And I felt so stupid. I was like, here's the guy who's listening to himself instead of anybody else. And he's making it work. So he was one. He was somebody who inspired me a lot. I also remember. I guess uh, other people pointed this out. Um, the Skibber was it? No wait, Skibberby Bye Bye. Yeah. Was was that that big collection that was like a bet a faux benefit for Marvel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was really inspiring to me too, especially Ron Reje's, uh cu- covering early Spider Man stuff. Right. That that really made me feel like the gauntlet had been thrown down and maybe it be those two artists were among other people kind of emboldened me to, um, to, uh, uh, embrace, embrace my love of all types of comic books, including superhero stuff. And even at Marvel, there was a time when it seemed like the floodgates for indie creators, you had Pete bag on Spider-Man Albeit, mm-hmm. you know, you know, one issue. Uh, Los Brothers Hernandez did that that uh, Strange Tales. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was a ton of of indie creators yeah, on yeah. that, and it was just like, all right, we don't have to feel guilty about this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Pharaoh Dalrymple doing Omega the Unknown. Sure, sure. And uh, Baggy did um, a Hulk issue too, but it didn't come out till years later, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, what was it, what was that called? It was like. Uh, the Incorrigible Hulk or something like that, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's just so great that we don't have that, that stupid um, guilty pleasure appellation applied to this stuff. I'm, I I never use that because... I, never, I don't believe in guilty pleasure. So right. Pleasure. right. Exactly. And um, that's, that's exactly how I feel. And um, I, I try to get this across. I teach um, college level kids uh illustration and i try and get it across that there's no shame in doing anything if 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 you love it it'll come through in the work visually some of that hopefully that emotion will be manifest in the image and and that's exactly what i see in your stuff like you have a there's an energy to your work that very very few people have at least to my eyes thanks um, geez, it's hard to accept that I see lots of people. So you look at Instagram, I feel like this is a very interesting time in art because when I was first going to art school, um, in 88 was the first year I did art school before I dropped out. And it was still, you're still being taught by people who had been trained when anti figurative stuff had a stranglehold on the way art was taught. So even though that was starting to be on its way out, it was still embedded in my teachers' minds and had been embedded in their teachers' minds. Where it's the same phenomenon where somebody tells you for years is something that you know is, you might feel is good. Somebody's telling you it's bad. Imagine all the people going to school 
and they're being told, you got you, you got to be kidding. You have to be over the figure. You've got to be over the tyranny of figuration and representation. I mean, assholes telling generation after generation of kids this when even they must not have believed it to right. some degree. So yeah. I, I went to school when, when they were writing, just starting to write articles on Gustin. At least they were new to me. And I remember being exposed to um, Gustin and um, who else was all of a sudden considered great. I saw um, a massive show by Leon Gullib. And uh, anyways, what was going on while I was in school is that a lot of people weren't being taught uh, traditional skills. And so when kids would try to try to have fun with artwork and try to do some cartoony stuff – Often, unless they went through a real kind of an industrial school background, they would just be left to their own devices. And a lot of them would draw at a really, really crude level. Crude's good, but you've got to have something that gives you confidence and some sort of training to, you know, some, to, to have more toys to play with. And especially in America, People, um, you know, so it's it's definitely encouraged to learn a little bit of how to draw now and to take to take inspiration from all the people who just went for it anyways, even if they couldn't draw like Rembrandt or um, or whoever Norman Rockwell. And you look at art now, and it's like an explosion of people who have enough ability. Maybe they're really good at rendering, and or maybe they're really good at pattern making, or maybe they're really good at uh, uh, texture and skin uh, ma- handling paint and they're just going for it and it's in a way that's exactly the opposite of where art was as far as I saw it when I was uh, in the late 80s where there was every it seemed like everybody was fumbling around and trying to figure out how to make how to make pictures with while knowing absolutely without knowing absolutely anything that had been traditionally taught in schools and I don't know exactly when they stopped teaching it till the forties or whatever. And now there's skills from the forties. I mean, that's that those things are, um, uh, now, now, you know, when I teach, I use every trick and every tool and I take inspiration from every single thing that I can and throw it at the kids partially because I try to show them work that just baffled me when I was a kid. Like I remember seeing, uh, very early um, Gustin, like when he was still doing graphite, Thomas Hart Benton style drawings, mm-hmm. and he was a prodigy. And I saw this image that he did when I was young of him that he did when he was 18. And I was like, maybe he's even younger, like 17. And it is very conservative. Like, you know, there's a little bit of kind of distortion. The hands are big, but it is like a craftsman made it. And I remember being so baffled. I'm like, this no-nothing. I mean, Gustin's a genius, but he was just some kid who knew more than I did at um, when I was 25. And he had, uh, you know, even though he rejected all those skills, he knew he knew them at a certain point. And I remember being so baffled at how even Gustin, at his stupidest, was more capable. And more, was had more agency than I did. So when I figured out, when I cracked the code and figured out some of the shading and some of the traditional rendering, I still struggle with that stuff. I became very, very passionate about 
showing my students how to how to crack that code themselves. And most of my students are um, are on the same path that I am. Uh, they get they they get just ex- as excited as I do. Oh, that's amazing! Uh, I have a hard time eking emotion out of my kids. Um, really? Yeah, because I think I've noticed a trend um, of of trepidation in the kids where they don't draw as well as they'd like to. So therefore they don't draw as much as they should because they aren't drawing well. That makes sense. Yeah. They're, they're afraid to fail. And I, I've, I've been battling that since I started. Like, how do you get around that? I, I give them as much freedom as I possibly can. No stipulation on, on media. You could use whatever you want. Your subject matter could be anything you want it to be. Just make some marks on the paper. If you fuck it up, you can do it again. You could try something else. Like you're not going to learn unless you, yeah. you, you pierce that membrane. Uh, it, it's, yeah. like, it's like a, a runner, you know, a long-distance runner. You're yeah. not going to run 12 miles the first day. You have I to- think that's a generational thing, though, Vince. Like I, I, I have those conversations with my – with my kids, particularly my oldest son, and I see it with his peers. It's I don't know if it's the way we've raised them or I don't know the sort of omnipresence of of like awareness of their peers now because of social media and always judging themselves against sort of the best of like like Josh, you mentioned Instagram, right? I mean, it, it is a pretty crazy thing. I mean, as an art fan, it's phenomenal to see. I mean, but it's got to also be kind of mind blowing as an artist to think of just how many incredible. Uh, artists of every medium are out there that literally but for something like Instagram would be doing it just for the love of it in their like apartment with no one ever knowing they existed. And yet they have like these phenomenal skill sets. But like I know with my kids, they, they, uh, I say this all the time, like they, they, and their friends, they, they try something, whether it be a video game or a sport or a new class that they're in. And, and if they're not experts at it immediately, they want to not do it. Exactly. And and exactly. I try and explain like, guys, like that's not the real world. Like mm-hmm. the real world is you're going to have to persevere at whatever you do. Even if you happen to be preternaturally talented at it, uh, you're still going to have to work your ass off to reach the pinnacle of what you want to do. And uh, I, I, I feel like it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And uh, it, it's probably the greatest frustration I have as a parent. So I can imagine what it would be like to be a teacher where, at least my, at least I love my kids. I don't know if I love my students <laughs> enough to tolerate it. So, yeah, I don't know. That's there, a tough there's one. a there seems to be a chronic in, impatience with these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, like like Josh says, there's a recipe for this stuff, and the main ingredient. Uh, let's just look at illustration. The main ingredient I think one, uh, of illustration is research and thumbnails. These kids hate to do thumbnails. Mm. It, it, it's like mm. I'm punishing them. They, they mm. just they won't do them. And I said, okay, you're going to build a house on a shaky foundation. What's going to happen? The house is going to fall. You need to do the thumbnails. And uh, what I've been – I had some success with – I had a, a couple kids who were so afraid that they would do these really quick preliminary drawings and then they'd choke it. Once they got to the the final rendering, and I said, "Well, why don't you just use your preliminary drawing?" And they're like, "Wait a minute, we can do that." I mm-hmm. said, "That's the pro- there's no rules to this. You, you you make it up as you go along. There's yes, there are the you know you have your fundamentals and your elements of design, and you need to know that stuff. But 
after you get to a certain point, there's no freaking rules. It's a free for all. Mm-hmm. And they just the, the you can see in a I could see in a couple kids the the light bulb just flashed on. Whoa, I I can use this scratchy ratty. Yeah, you know, tattered drawing. I said, of course you can make it, make it sing, you know. And I, 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 I just try and approach it with enthusiasm and, and genuine honesty because I, I'm really concerned with these kids. I, I want them to be comfortable in their with their their skills, and it's just mm-hmm. it's, it's hard, yeah. man. What I try to tell them that um, that uh, uh, you know. Thumbnails are important, especially for comics. It's partially psychological. There's nothing more kind of intimidating and defeating than that white blank piece of paper. Exactly. So, so the quicker you can, the quicker you can kind of get the boulder moving so it picks up momentum of its own, the better. And I also tell them, as New Yorkers, I'm like, do all the grunt work on the subway. You know, you got a half hour where you're a captive and just pick up a sketchbook and block out. You can block out nine, 10, 20 pages of thumbnails if the ideas are kind of flowing in a 30 minute subway ride. And that might keep you. It takes a long time to do 10 or 11 pages of comics. That might be six months for some people. It might be three months. So just if you I tell them every project I've ever done. I've done thumbnails on the back of a bunch of scrap paper, stapled it together, uh, shoved it into another sketchbook, and then I, the spot that becomes the Bible for me for months. And it's, um, and uh, I also I also block out. I actually don't take the subway that much, but I bike a lot. But when I am on the subway, I'm usually blocking out a page like if i'm not doing thumbnails i'm usually grabbing a piece of bristol and again doing the grunt work you're going off my thumbnails and starting to do those big blocky shapes and i feel like when i tell people that it seems like it seems like it it plants a seed it doesn't and, and also you never if somebody's really on the path to making work they might not they might be processing it during during the year one year in school and then really continuing to go to stuff that you represent that you demonstrated them years later. I mean that's that's kind of it's, it's interesting. As students, I, I read a headline the other day that said um, teachers respond to kids who signal more than more than anything else. Like you can be, and I didn't read the article, but I kind of figured what they meant is it's the kids who have the really bad attitude who aren't even bothered trying to cover up their attitude, who are really, who really get on your radar as a teacher. You can fake me out somewhat easily by having, you can fake having a good attitude and that you're concerned about the work um, without too much trouble. Show up on time, listen, try to act like, you know, try to bounce your ideas back at me, make good eye contact. You get every now and then you'll get a kid who is like surly and withdrawn and will, uh, you know, react with anger. I don't, I don't know. I was feeling all of those things when I was a student, but I usually hit it usually because you have a lot of weird feelings at that age. You have a lot of doubts and anxiety just being in school. Um, I look back and 
I mean, even though it was in my 30s when I was at SVA, I had a lot of weird authority issues. And uh, I guess I hit it better than I thought I did. Um, my teachers were, remained friends with me for the most part after after I, I got out of school. And even classes that I was late to and stuff like that, it seems like they don't remember it. And I'm the, I, it's, I have a few students like that now. They're, I can see they're, they're, I have a few kids who are authentic artists, and I can tell already. I mean, there's a few of them I'm picturing right now. Some of them are the most... Um, some of them are the uh, least dependable students in some ways in the commonplace stuff. But at the end of the day, they, si- they signal to me in a more important way, in a deeper way, that they're real artists and that they are trying to make art in a way that makes sense to them. And they're listening to me and stuff like that. At the end of the day, they're, they're excited about the whole about being in the field. I, I don't know. Right. No, it, it, it makes complete sense. Um, another thing uh, the, among the long list of things I admire about you is your absolute relentlessness in relation to your craft. You seem, Thank you. You seem to eat, sleep, um, breathe art constantly. Um, if you're not on the Facebook throwing up stuff in the in the Fort Kirby, um, you know, group, uh, you, you're 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 musing over over like the minutia of, of making images. Uh, you're you're writing comics, you're drawing comics. The 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 ROM thing that's that's coming up, the 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 theft stuff. It, it's just art consumes you, and and that to me is is that's the sign of. You need to do this. You, you're someone that just absolutely needs to make these things. Yeah, I it, I um, felt like I was kind of in a vacuum for years. And, and before I before I kind of had my own practice together, I was just getting more and more and more obsessive about comics. Like I was never as much of a reader as I was in my late 20s, like right before I kind of – uh, made the jump and got all in with my own craft. I mean, I, I, I read and reread my favorite books so many times. I'll never be that serious again. I watched movies a lot over repeatedly, you know, too. It's like, it's like, um, like Marky e. Smith from the fall said re- repetition, repetition, repetition. Right. And I used, I used to read, um, uh, stuff that was coming out in the early two thousands. I re I must've read, from hell so many times it was ridiculous and um also the grant morrison books that were coming out in the early 2000s his x-men run i was reading that stuff very seriously and um the uh the you know love and rockets um whatever books i had i just would i i would study them until i started to see, see stuff that only a crazy person would see and uh, it's in some ways, all that energy has gone into making my own work. And it's just the way it is. Now I don't really have that much time to read. I, co- I buy books and I'll look at them in pieces, but I just get too, I get too focused on doing my own stuff and um, read. I read much, much less work than I used to. So a lot the, the, the energy of being like a weird super fan uh, went, has gone into – all that enthusiasm has just gone into making work. 
And I, I was, it was, I was happy to be at Superfan, but it was also a very frustrating time for me. Um, I really wanted to be, I wanted it to be, I wanted to be the, in the center, uh, in the center ring, so to speak. So uh, I, I can't imagine losing that enthusiasm. And it is always weird to me when you see, you know, people like Crumb who talk, apparently talks about not making comics anymore. I, I guess though that I guess it's like I guess you can get your fill of anything. Maybe that's that's um, if it makes sense to Crumb, then he must have gone as far as he can go with comics in a certain sense. Right. Right. I'm I'm very frequently torn between making art and consuming art, um, especially doing this show, we consume a lot of comics. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes feel like it's not particularly a good thing because, one, reading that many comics kind of dulls the experience. The 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 very good stuff that should resonate doesn't resonate as strongly because of the sheer volume of stuff that that I'm consuming and it's mm-hmm. take it's taking me away from doing what I should be doing which is is making art so do you think we as um speaking as a fan not as a creator do you think we consume too much of this stuff do you think there's too much noise and not enough signal because of that I don't know. I um, just know that I, I I've I miss um, you know I don't go to as many shows as I used to either. Like I keep on. There's a lot of good music that happens in New York, but I think about <clears throat> it's not two hours to see a, a a cool show. It's six and a half, seven hours. It's picking yourself up and getting your head ready towards knowing you have to leave the house. It's the hour commute to wherever you're going. It's two hours of waiting around in between sets. It's walking out. It's you know, it, it, it's it's a whole fucking fifteen hour thing. Mm-hmm. You know, keep on raising, keep on raising the, the amount of time. So I, I just don't. Do, I used to be an obsessive music fan too, and uh, I always have had social anxiety. So in some ways, it doesn't feel that doesn't feel healthy to me to draw parallel parallel to what you're saying, I think that there's something very life affirming about going to a good show. And, but I, it, another part of me has no doubt that I'm doing the right thing, but a little part of me says I'm giving in to some kind of weakness that I was getting over by forcing myself to get out, get out there and getting into into the world. So, um, uh, I have, I have those conflicts too. It just clicked. Um, I just, not long ago, you put a page of uh, the uh, forthcoming theft stuff where he's like, I'm so hungry, but I shouldn't eat. I, I, shouldn't, need, I shouldn't need this food. Why do I need it? I'll, I'll just ignore it and, and, and maybe it'll go away. And th- that kind of the, the need for whatever, comics, entertainment, sex, food – is is that kind of line of thinking play into Josh Bayer, the 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 artist? Like, do you think that there's things that do you abstain from things just for the sake of abstaining? Is what I'm saying. Sometimes, 
But my private moments, I'm very self-indulgent. And so is the Theth character. I mean, the Theth character is really full of shit in a way that a young person can be. He's kind of thinks that he's, he desperately wants to be like this art barbarian and doesn't really get how to do the work. He is primitive in many ways, but many of those ways are not really understanding the connection between hard work and payoff. And so like on the next page of that sequence where he's like, I'm going to be like an art monk. I'm going to not eat and I'm just going to focus. You know, and, then, and then he goes to seven 11 and he's like, Whoa, you guys have donut milkshakes <laughs> and a burrito. And he's like, you know, trying to also like save money. And I remember I was like that when I was a kid, I'd be like, I'm just going to live on fucking $5 a day. And then I get out and I just be like, the more I need it, you need to be able to waste money in a weird way uh, when you have that many restrictions on you. The need to be able to just feel the human, the human, the common human humanity of just being able to fucking get a second cup of coffee yeah. is uh, yeah. is something that grows bigger and bigger the less you have it. Yeah. I'm not, I I read this book recently about addiction and they talked about how. Um, People, I hate to say this, but people who abstain from stuff, it's really common that they, the resistance gets more and more broken down over time. They keep on saying, I'm not going to do this thing. I'm not going to do this thing. And it's very common that um, you ping pong from one extreme to the other. So uh, you, that's, that's how our, our brains are hardwired around habits and um, we need them, and they. Uh, there's a lot of there's a whole science to addiction. I don't really even understand, but a big part of it is it's normal for you to have that kind of call and response between yourself. I'm going to give. I'm going to sacrifice this thing, and I'm going to fast off of this thing. I'm going to wean myself off of this thing, and at some point, it's not that you can't you you can do that for a while, and it's it's healthy, but it's not that uncommon that you that you wild out on going to binge. So I have a lot of respect for, my, for any of my friends who've been alcoholics and have managed to go year life, you know, the rest of their lifetime without a drink because, you know, not to curse anybody by saying this, but this book was saying you can keep on saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. And your wires can get, it's like pulling a rubber band back and, and you can, um, that you can flip back the other way. So that's what happens in that sequence with Theth. And uh, yeah, and, and so I'm still, I'm still like that for sure. And, and how close are you to finishing that? So that's a good question. I've been working <laughs> on Theth. If that's what I'm calling it, I'm not going to call it Theth 2. I was thinking I had another title in mind that I haven't announced yet, but I just came up with the last name for Theth. So I have the option now of calling it Theth Hensland. Oh, so you're, gonna, you're going with Henslin. Nice. I like Henslin. Yeah. I yeah. mean, anyway, so it's 192 pages and I finished it six months ago, give or take. But then I've been coloring it since August, September. I colored ROM in August pretty quickly. And then I started coloring Theft at the same time I was doing all my final last minute edits. And it's one really nice byproduct of doing all time comics is that I don't think I would be coloring the way that I am now. If I hadn't done all time, I don't think I'd be inking as well. 
I don't think my stuff would quite be as polished as it is because uh, I was forced to do a, I was forced to do a bunch of stuff that I'd never done before, um, including taking over from you know on, on the fourth issue of all time. I ended up doing uh, something like twelve pages of, a, of the of the fourth book when our artist kind of disappeared, of Rick Buckler Jr. And I just took over and tried to match his style. And I had to have the art really presentable for Al Milgram. And that had an effect on me, seeing the way that Al was resolving stuff that I had been doing. And it fed directly into theft. And uh, coloring, too. Just dealing with the coloring decisions. I think my favorite colorist on all time is Matt Rhoda. He did uh, three of the issues. And... Um, some of them are the most perfect coloring that we have. And I asked him last year, I've not, I went to school with Matt. He does, if, if you don't know his work, he's a really, really successful illustrator. He does a lot of stuff for um, really high prestige magazines like uh, Newsweek, I think, and, and um, New York Times, places like that. And I can always, if whenever I see one of his images on on social media before I even see his name, I know it's him. So his stuff has, is just stamped with his identity. And anyways, I asked him if he could give me any tips for coloring. When I saw him at Mocha last year, I think it was last right when, uh, in, in the spring. And he said, man, yeah, it's not that hard. I'd be glad I said I could pay him if he tutor me in coloring. He goes, well, here's what I do. And he described it and he described some stuff that was really, um, really spontaneous and low low tech. He's like, well, some of the stuff I do involves and in making big out big gestural. I just made a big gesture and hurt myself. Big gestural <laughs> marks, and he was telling it to me, and it just filtered down. And something about that conversation, combined with years and years of fucking around with coloring and trying to piece it together and figure out what worked really emboldened me and after do, recoloring the rom stuff in august which is 80 pages of work i just dived into the theft stuff so that's been the last stage of the work and i see it as being something that in many ways is a result of rubbing up alongside people who are better than me figuratively sometimes non-figuratively and then we um and uh yes if that too or whatever i'm going to call it is very much almost done, except I found I keep on finding little little things I want to do, pages I want to take out, or more likely pages I want to put in. So I have a long monologue that Theft does that I discovered today. That's right around the hundred page mark. I got this one page that's a good page, but in context doesn't help the scene. So I'm either going to take it out or put it in 30 pages earlier and then I do another page to kind of buffer it. So I'm, I'm mulling over a few decisions like that. Anyways, it'll be done soon. Now are you going to publish that yourself or do you have a, a publisher? Uh, uh, well, stay tuned. Well, I'm talking to a couple mm-hmm. people. Okay, cool. But I definitely don't want to publish it myself. But if I, if everybody rejected it, I would, uh, I would, um, I don't think I'd have to publish it myself. But I, I have friends who would publish it. I could do it on a very small, um, could do it on a small scale if I needed to and be satisfied. But I don't think I'll have to do that. 
I'm looking at the uh, Atlas issue that Matt Rhoda colored, and I yeah. see I see what you're talking about now. The influence on this in the uh, the images that I've seen from uh, Theth Two especially the ROM stuff that you sent me. And I really appreciate the fact that you sent me PSDs. So now I can, I can get a kind hmm. of a, a, an inkling hmm. on how you work, which is awesome. Oh, but, cool. But yeah, um, thanks. the, uh, the coloring, especially for ROM is, is just breathtaking. The, the, the front cover, the back cover, it's just Im- amazing, impeccable stuff. And it, it just seems so, it, it, it feels visceral to me. Thanks. Like almost, uh- where you're, you're you're turning off all of the years of instruction and tutelage, and you're just running with that instinct, and it, and it feels primal, it feels natural, and I think I honestly I think it's breathtaking. I don't know why I've been. Well, I do know why. I mean, I've been straightjacketing myself trying to fit into this black and white mold for years. I say this, this one isn't the first time I've said this. Uh, it's like, because I know who I've been, I've been obsessed with Pettibone and Wally Wood and Steve Ditko and especially Milton Kniff and Mark Bayer. And it just goes down on and on and on down the line. And um, the, uh, the, all these people are artists who um, were able to do it in black and white. Gabrielle Bell. Mm-hmm. They're all people who mastered a system for doing black and white work. And um, color came in secondarily. And I always felt like that's true. True, That's your job as a, as a cartoonist. There's something so cool about the limits. Uh, I feel like to somehow adapt uh, Harriman, too. Jesus, he's such a black and white master. Sure. Um, and, and there's just something about the way that they had control over these uh, uh, blacks and whites. And I've never been, I've always struggled with it. The years before I went back to comics, I was doing fine art stuff and I used a lot of color. And um, somehow I um, have been stuff well it was partially a money thing i always figured i could mass produce stuff that was black and white and i would get good at that and then if i was in demand enough i would do stuff in color but it was kind it seemed kind of highfalutin for me to assume that my stuff would um be worth printing in color considering the price hike that would be involved in in doing small press stuff and um Winning Rizograph, actually, I skipped a beat there. That also had a huge, huge impression on me. So I took um, took a Rizograph class, night class at SBA, and that also was a huge turning point for me starting to think about color differently. I would love to take a Rizograph <laughs> class because um, mm. one of the artists uh, I love, uh, Mickey Zakili. Yeah. She ekes the hell out of her i don't know what she's using but her stuff looks so beautiful and it's it she she does i think exclusively risograph stuff right she's yeah she's incredible i um i did a uh we were waiting on a train together at the cake the first year they did it and me and her like did a um the only time ever drawn with her 
uh, me and her did like a, a comics jam together. I think I ended up publishing in Suspect Device number two or three. Mm-hmm. And she is, uh, to ma- this, the way her brain works is, um, is amazing. She, she's, there's a lot, but she's part of this school of this movement of cartoonists that I see who all mystify me. Matt Crabb draws a lot, like, um, has the same kind of magic to his work. Right. Yeah. Um, bunch of other people I'm drawing a blank on right now. Have you, I've, I read Rav in one sitting. Like, I, I have the single issues, but um, I think it was Floating World published those those two collections, and I read them in one sitting, and it's just, it's amazing that someone so young could have the inherent knowledge in their work to produce a mature work like that. Like, she's fearless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm very envious <laughs> <laughs> to get that good. Um, so we've we, uh, season one of All Time Comics is in the can. Where is season two going? Oh, we're really far along with that. Um, I've uh, I, I uh, have also been announced in this left and right. I think we announced it in the back of the new issue. The talent lineup for season two is uh well the main collaborators are me and josh simmons one of my favorite artists uh collaborated on the script he's basically the script writer uh we plotted it together and i just handed it to him and asked him to do all the work and um i'm doing some i'm the editor and the co-plotter and i've thrown in a few lines here and there a few bits of dialogue um fun to work with him uh his new book which isn't out yet is really really handsome it's going to be i think it's going to really help remind people what a genius he is anyways blah 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 uh we got trevor von eden um oh nice majority of the art and um me and josh talk all the time about what uh how how um overwhelmingly insane it is to work with him how different it is from working with um people who are in the indie field like he's more josh said to me one day i think he's i think trevor takes a lot more chances than most of the people that we know and he's a um who are in the who are in the indie scene in terms of page design and he manages to tell stories very clearly but he does uh he interweaves it with this with these really crazy cinematic um, swooping ways of taking your eye through the page. Uh, so it's and having him work on our ideas is is really one of my favorite is is great. And one of my favorite things is getting him to work on characters that we design that are influenced by like we have one character who's sort of like a sort of a freakish version of Alice the Goon, and have another character Josh mostly designed. We designed them together, but the key component is it's a character who has a huge mouth drawn on their mouth, like a mask. So they wear a mask over their mouth, and it's like you know the flat shape on the. It's it's um the more crazy the characters are, the more interesting it is to see Trevor uh, breathe life into them. So we also have continued the tradition of having. Um, people who are from the other side of the pond from the alternative comics field, um, uh, collaborate, um, contribute. 
So we had Gabrielle Bell do like an eight page sequence. Um, she's probably one of my favorite people who has worked on all of all time comics because she really made the sequence look like Harold Gray. who did little orphan Annie. And if I, like if I, um, if I could have had one single issue that looks like a Harold Gray comic, but with our content from beginning to end, it would have, I would have been really happy. So um, we did, she did like a 10 page sequence and we'll probably, if she accepts the, she accepts it, uh, the offer from us, she'll probably do another page. Julia Gafour did some work for us. We're going to have her inked by um, uh, Ken Wangraff. Um, Ken Wangraff inked, uh, also inked over uh, Benjamin Mara. He did like five pages for us and then he became kind of unavailable. Um, we also are talking to Hell J. Rauman about doing a kind of a hallucinatory scene. And then Josh Simmons and I did a, uh, so far we've drawn on like a seven page sequence together him doing lo- loose rough pencils me tightening them up and then him finishing the pencils and then inking so that's kind of the it's kind of been kind of system where josh the six at least 60 percent or more of the work when we collaborate and uh it is going to be sort of like a five instead of like isolated issues it's going to be like one long connected five issue story. Wow. But we're also adjacent T miles also wrote a really cool script that we want, um, shaky Kane to draw and oh, shaky yeah. Kane's accepted it. So <laughs> this is all, but, but, but Trevor's done, Trevor's done like something like 110 pages for us so far. He's done four issues. God damn. Wow. Worth of work. And so, now how so did Josh, can, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. 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 Have, how did you look up have with- a colored lettered and um i i, I reached out i asked um fife if um michelle fife if he thought that that trevor would be good to work with and he vouched for him said he's a genius and one of his favorite people so uh i can't remember i probably got his contact info from fife we uh i sent him an email um, initially I asked them, uh, my favorite thing by Trevor up to that point had been the outsiders annual that he did years ago, oh, where apparently man. he did it kind of as a rush job. So he was using a really rough line and I asked him if he could do it in that style, but he just is, he, I think that kind of fell by the wayside. He's doing stuff, which is, isn't, doesn't particularly look like that. But it's um, it's it's the Trevor of 2018, so I can't ask him to go back and try to ape that style. He said he barely remembered doing that book. Um, but the uh, so yeah, that's how I met him. We talked on the phone, um, and ever, ever since then we've been doing everything via email. And that's how it was with Herb too. I actually never met Herb. Uh, I always I thought about going out to go see him at the East coast comic con. Cause I knew he was going to be there, but I felt really weird about having done. I did a comic about him before I met him about dealing with the uh, sort of like a allegorical retelling of him, his struggle at Marvel towards the end where he adopted that image style. Yeah, right. Um, 
and he uh, and I wasn't sure if he had seen it. And you know, I didn't. It's a lot easy to do a comic when you when you don't know somebody. Um, <laughs> right, right. And talk about really difficult, uh, painful passages, potentially painful passages in people's lives. I didn't want to have this whole conversation with him. I mean, Herb seems like a guy with great dignity, and I just didn't. I, I, I he, his daughter says he would have gotten a kick out of this comic that I did that had him fighting image guys with his head grafted onto a dinosaur's Godzilla body. Well, it's just, it, it, but uh, I, I don't, I don't know. While talking about surviving in the industry um and uh the end of the comic um i have a little kid reading his image style work that he did you know what i'm talking about the fantastic four unlimited style mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. says this is the saddest comic ever made and it, it, it's funny for a long time i did all this work about the travails of you know all the stuff i read about marvel creators um uh you know it, it, and it was all in the abstract all these people like Ditko, who I find so fascinating, and um, uh, and people, who, uh, other people who were who were really wounded by working in the industry, and it was always in the abstract. I mean, they're fun comics to do, and I could be do commentary, but now I feel like having done all time comics, I've dealt with like not in the abstract. I've dealt with the real face of every component of the comics bit of the low the low rent level of the comics business including working with working with working that weird assembly line process encountering some people like herb who are amazing encountering other people who uh, there's one artist who somebody recommended to me who um uh, i reached out to to do some work for us and he told me the sad story about how he was down and out and asked if he could have fifty dollars advance. And we gave oh, him like yeah. we gave him like a thousand dollars advance. Somebody had told me I had no idea that this person was um, really, really um, unreliable. And he disappeared with the money and didn't do any work for us. Oh, and I just we were gonna pay him like you know we, we were gonna pay him like six thousand dollars for doing this whole job. It was a long comic. It's like sixty pages, I think a hundred bucks a page, or thirty pages, thirty thirty pages, two hundred bucks a page. And I didn't think a thousand dollars was that much. And the um, he so that attitude uh, was that was a, a really ugly incident. Um, and you know you you live and learn, but I feel like I've dealt with the scummy aspect of this style of comics. I've dealt with like the beautiful aspect of different people with who are both creative and professional coming together. Um, I've dealt with like every level of it and I've, I've benefited a shitload both in my personal work um, uh, and, um, um, and, and making this, making all time comics, which I've enjoyed a lot, but uh, it's been, um, it's not nearly as fun to, in some ways, to uh, sit back and talk about all the stuff from a distance, um, as it is to see some of the ugliness of the comics, of the comics mindset, and what um, up close. Right. We um, also, I was going to add something to that. So then it well, is the. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I cut you off. No, um, 
obviously your 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 love of the older Marvel stuff and 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 you mentioned Trevor, you mentioned Herb. Mm-hmm. Um how did Al Milgram get attached oh to it? God. And yeah, and I, was that um and, was a, and the whole critical the whole critical and the the text pieces in the back yeah i just i mean is that something he brought to the table as you say you know listen review some indie books for us i'm just as much as i i love al milgram the anchor i think zach soto uh was inspired he suggested that we have al do a critic al uh column i thought it was a very inspired idea um and uh, I don't remember if he came up with the idea of Critic Owl, but maybe that was the Owl himself. But I thought that was a cool uh, novelty. It kind of spoke to the um, to uh, the weird coexistence of these of these you know different extremes of making comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was I was going to print whatever he put out there. You know, I wanted I thought he might even if he just said one sentence about every one of those books, um, you know, I was going to run it. I thought it was a good idea for a column. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as an anchor. Uh, yeah, I really genuinely love Al's work. Um, he's somebody else's stuff. I've stared at a lot. Um, I especially some of his rougher stuff in the during the eighties, like I hated it when I was a kid, but as I've gotten older, like his work on secret wars too is yeah. West coast Avengers, West coast Avengers. Um, there's covers he did, uh, for, uh, all kinds of books. Um, yeah, he was really, really cool to work with. And, uh, uh, what else can I say about him? <laughs> I wish, I wish we could get him on season two. I know he's available. But um, Trevor is inking himself. I, I, I also thought about having him write. I'm about to have um, re-releases of my ROM books come out. And I thought about asking him to write a foreword or to ink. Maybe I'd do a pinup in the back and have him ink it. But I just didn't have, uh, didn't have time in the end. Um, but I did reach out to – well, I shouldn't announce it, but there's somebody else – really special who I'm having write uh, a, a, a sort of an essay or an editorial or an introduction for uh, the ROM book. But you should know I'm not calling it ROM. I'm calling it for copyright reasons. I kept on thinking of different names I could call ROM. I did uh, there, at one point I did a ROM book that was, I called him Orm, but I ended up coming up with um, calling him RM because they say that, you know, if you look at a word like alphabet and half of the letters in the middle are all, are all out of order, but the A and the T are in place, they say your brain makes sense of the word. Yes. Yep. 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 So what I've started to do when I have a book uh, where I want to use an homage to somebody else is I will just kind of reassemble the words or take out the O or take out the vowel. And that's what I did. So his, we took out every reference to the name Rob. And uh, made him RM instead. But when you read it, your brain goes. Your brain basically says the says who he is. Yeah. And as I as I kept on doing ROM books, my first one was a straight up like recreation of the original script and everything for the most part. I tried to do different shots and tried to 
do like recreate the angles and everything. But as I went on, I started to, um, I started to do stuff like, uh, uh, actually rewrite every single sentence. So even if somebody says, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to sit in the corner over there, I would reframe it to like, I'll be, I'll be over there in the edge of the room. You know, there's always a way you can get the same point across and not have to actually take every single word the person is saying. And then you're, then it's more of a fair use sort of thing. You're changing the names of the characters. You're changing, you're, you're not using the like, same script. It's more like the way Mad Magazine is protected by parody laws. So as I kept on doing ROM, I started to, uh, I started to follow the same kind of guidelines that Mad would. So every character has a different name. Every character uh, says something that's a little bit different than the original source material. Because, and anyways, my um, point isn't to, um, I don't know. Maybe it's in some people's minds. Maybe it's not legitimate because I'm doing a copy of these original books. But I've always loved when people do cover songs, and it's that's what I was. Uh, that's what I was after in doing Rob. I thought there was a lot of freedom in um, in just trying to rock something out, something else from the past, and trying to see what it sounded like through my filter. Plus, the source material is so legitimate. Like Bill Bill Mantlo made gold out of straw. He, he he took yeah. a, an action figure that had no villains was just this one-off th- thing with a with a ray gun yeah. and he he made a whole yeah. universe around it yeah yeah so uh i have to ask you you mm-hmm. you mentioned josh uh simmons a number yeah, of times yeah. i only know him from his work i i've read the bulk of josh simmons's work is he as scary in real life as his work because that that man mm. frightens me. His his work is it's on he's a frighten, he's frighteningly smart. Okay. Um, yeah, but he's very approachable, and um, he is. I think that he's even told me stories where people were upset with his work, and he's uh, um, were angry at him because his work is so intense. It's terrifying. And he's told, yeah, and he's. Um, uh, told me stories about um, trying to t- trying to connect with them on a human level, um, but he is uh, yeah he's accessible and he is uh, just he's somebody you can talk to just like anybody else in the field. Um, probably uh, he, and he's very much like a throwback to in terms of a work ethic. Um, he's very much like Herb. He's a total pro. He's like really cares about doing a good job and um, trying to. Uh, he doesn't do stuff like a slacker, so I think he. Um, I think he enjoys all time. Uh, I think that he is um, also really. Uh, I, I think he's glad to be able to make money doing um, doing comics and that on the old. You know, as he should be able to. So he does. He does these comics, and um, they. I don't think any of us are making a fortune out of our work, out of our personal work. Uh, but you know, it, it all it all accumulates. 
and he is um, especially with his new book coming out. I'd be it'll be interesting to see how much more Josh Simmons mania there is, and how much more um, uh, opportunities come about for him because of it. I think the new book is like as exciting as um, Prison Pit or uh, any of the, you know One Man War on Terror or any of the books you can look at and uh, feel like are really um, are really uh, um, I don't know. Those are to me. Those are very vital books. They're books I'd be excited about, uh, even if I wasn't making comics. And I think that's how his new book is going to be. What's it called? It's um, I forget. It's got a big scary monster face on the front. But he did a collection of work that's mostly him writing with other artists. And when he described it, I thought it might feel uneven. And it instead it feels really like it's it's all in underneath one umbrella of um, his voice. And uh, I think it really is. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's as good as his best work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a flayed corpse. Flayed corpse. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and James Romberger is, is in that he teaches at the, the university that I do. Where do you, where do you teach? Marywood, Marywood university. Where's that? Uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Wow, so he commutes. Yeah, um, James works at the. Uh, we both work at Parsons as well, so I see him in the hall sometimes. Yeah. And he sometimes does. This uh, we have a two-week masters uh, program in the summer, and he teaches at that. So it's it's a two-week deal, but um, so he's not commuting like you know, a couple times sure. a week. Um, but so no, but uh, back to Josh Simmons. I, I love the uncompromising nature of his work. But I have to say, it's it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like genuinely knows. Uh, you look at his stuff, and you feel like he genuinely knows evil. That's yeah, a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you have yeah. the. I um, was I, I was surprised when he. It's not to put down all time comics, but I was surprised that we were able to get him. He was a he was a first choice for doing season two. Um, I didn't think I'd have as much time as I wanted to write and we wanted to continue. And he was the absolute first person I could think of. I mean, um, aside from and the SETI, you know, I, I think I can't think anybody who would fit better. And he is, uh, he, you know, um, I mean, I think all time comics is cool, but it's not like the, to me, it's like a. Um, there was like a band that Ian MacKay did before Fugazi, but after Minor Threat, called Palehead. It was like him and Al Jorgensen from Ministry, mm-hmm. and you can still find the album. It's on YouTube or wherever, and it's a weird album. And it's and it's like those two guys don't seem like they belong together, and that's what I thought All Time was just a cool like a weird EP, a side project all these people could do. And uh, that is, um, I guess there's other uh, precedents for people getting together briefly to do weird, weird uh, one offshoot bands where people who people from different disciplines play together. Um, That's what all the time is to me. One name that we haven't brought up yet that I think it would be a crime if we didn't was uh, Patalicio. 
Oh yeah, yeah, of course. And we saw his uh, his amazing pinup that he did. Yeah, the the guy's incredible, and, and you've worked on him with other in other projects too. Um, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we um, have a massive project that me, him, and Josh Burgraff did together. That uh, I'm, I am not sure, like who has all the pages. I have a scattering around my house. And I know Pat has some of them. Um, but so I don't know when that, that will come out, but we did that like four years ago and just jammed on this big, long, crazy narrative. Uh, but we actually, if, if shaky is cool with it, shaky Kane, my idea for the one shot that I mentioned before is that, <laughs> excuse me, Pat will do, uh, you know how in the Warriors, there's like graffiti over all the buildings? Mm-hmm. I want Pat to do Pat Alicio art over like a landscape of buildings for page after page after page. <laughs> so if Sha- unless Shaky's like, no, nobody can touch my work, I'd like those guys to kind of collaborate in that way on this issue that we have coming out. Um, and I just actually just reached out to Pat about that last week because he's he has talked to me about wanting to do um, – wanting to do like a, a backup story for all time, which I also would like him to do. You have a lot of irons in the fire and you're holding <laughs> back on us. Like, let's get this stuff out. Come on. We want to see it. I know. I know. I spin a, it's been a good year, but it's been, um, you know, it's been a long time since I had like a solo book come out. Uh, so it, I'm really anxious to have all these projects, uh, start to come out, come down, uh, come off the assembly line, um, especially theft too. It's been, um, and after I'm done with that, um, I have some other, uh, some other stuff I want to jump into. You're a busy man. Hmm. Aren't we all? (laughs) In theory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we didn't bring up the black hood. Oh yeah. 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 For th- for those you know, of you who don't know, the Black Hood was an anthology with uh, a theme of um, anxiety and depression, and you had a number of people work on that with you. Uh, Pat was on that. Box Brown, uh, John Porcelino, uh, who else? Um, um, we had Mike Taylor do right. uh, the back cover. We had Tara Tara Booth do the front cover, and she did a five page or six page comic. Um, yeah, I did that because um, there's a couple people I care about a lot who were – well, actually, it seemed like everybody I dated would get really depressed. I don't know why. I don't know if I'm – I don't know if I'm the cause, but um, the uh, – I'm just kidding. But a lot of people that I love seem to suffer from depression, and I would happen again and again and again. It's um, a lot of people in my life, and I've somehow like – I mean, I have my problems, but I, I somehow missed that. I missed that. Um, I, I managed to miss that bullet. I, I don't have that makeup, and I felt like I wanted to do the project to understand what these people are going through better. So I tried to kind of step aside and interview people, and I sort of thought that, um, yeah, I mean, ha- having people tell me that they feel like their brain is turning on them or their heart is turning on them, it's and it's it's really really staggering um i've been to, i think the last time i was what i would call depressed 
was probably when I was 18. And I, I found it terrifying. And I tried to do, you know, this is what tells you that I don't really have the, whatever the brain chemistry is that makes you have a propensity towards depression. Because I feel like I was able to sidestep it by desperately trying to do things that, to avoid it. Because I do feel like that experience was so scary that I've been running from it for years. But I try. I tried to outrun it with um, exercise. I tried to outrun it with um, trying to do work. But you hear people who will say that they do those things, and it still doesn't work. It's still they're still fucked. So I tr- wanted to do the book partially because I didn't really have. I I felt weird standing by and having all these people I care about tell me this is like a daily battle for them. And um, I thought it would make me feel less weird if I could make my next big anthology project uh, about this core motivating factor. And um, so I t- instead of doing another issue of Suspect Device, I did, I did that. And that's the story of the Black Hood. Very worthy cause. Both my wife and my daughter suffer from depression and uh, it's exactly as you said. Uh, she will tell me that she feels like her her mind is doubling back and, and turning on her. And I, I, as one who doesn't, who has never been depressed, I, I can't understand it. I, I can't wrap my, my head around the fact that why don't you just will yourself out of it? Like just decide to do something else. And she said it doesn't work that way. You yep. know? So in in reading this anthology, a lot of it rang true to me because I mean, as seeing people, you, you just want to shake it out of them. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, you're alive. Every every moment of your life is is something that you can there there has to be a reason. I mean, just look at this is a beautiful world we live in. <laughs> what world are you looking at? Well, you know, <laughs> but there is great beauty in the world. There's great beauty in the world. Uh, and and I just, I, I, I don't understand how someone can't find uh, solace in the, even the smallest thing, you know, like walking yeah. the dog. But it, it's, 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 it's totally alien to me, but your anthology managed to make sense of it in yeah, a way. I, I wonder sometimes, thank you. I wonder if sometimes if it's just my narcissism, which keeps me, keeps me from being falling subject to depression. And I almost feel like I'm, you know, going to curse myself by, by, by thinking these things. And so I guess I've gone as far as I can with the, with that book, but there, there's like an episode of the Sopranos where, um, in the last season where AJ starts to battle depression and the best line they ever gave AJ, ever, 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 is how can you not be depressed the way this fucking world is? He's like, how can you, unless you have your own face shoved so far up your own ass, your own head shoved so far up your own ass that all you can see is your own stupid fucking re- reflection? Like when you, and it's, it is, there are moments that are like that. There's, there is, um, all I do is stay obsessed with my work as my way out, but I totally get how fucked things feel for people just based on how fucking gross the world is. 
It it is. It is a a, a very nasty place, but there's still there's still beautiful stuff out there. Definitely. Got to dig for it, especially now. Yeah. That's true. You know, when Trump got elected, I thought that doing art was going to seem really futile. And do teaching was going to seem futile. I, I heard stories like going back to uh, at SVA. I remember Marshall Ayersman telling me that he was teaching when 9-11 happened. And he just the, it ground the semester to a halt. He's like, people were like, what does it matter if I get my master's degree? And he said that they tried to deal with it by, um, I think they, he told me there's a way they sidestepped it that had to do with helping other people. I think they went to uh, try to do art that was involved with um, visiting visiting people in nursing homes or, or other people who were disadvantaged and trying to do art that was about looking, looking at them. And it's been, when Trump got elected, I felt like um, everything I do in the classroom and everything I do seems more important with um, rather than less important. And I don't know if I'm uh, and I'm just going to accept that when I accept despite what AJ says about on the Sopranos. I'm just going to accept that as be as feeling important because it's all you it's all you have is you've got to um, it, it feels like it's this one a classroom, for example, is one of the few places where you can have a really ideal, you, you can believe in idealism. Like, you can follow ideals. And and uh, I, I, um, I, I'm I, with you on that as far as finding beauty where you can. Right. I, I think it's the teachers and the writers and the artists, the, the people that haven't forgotten that they're human, those are the most important people right now. Because the the human heart, the the emotion, they are the people. That's their stock and trade, right? So we have to keep reminding people that they're human. The, these other dudes, the the ones that uh, deal in war and and subjugation and all that stuff, they really have forgotten that they're human. I mean, that's the only way I can put it. They they just don't remember that. They are flesh and blood and, and of the same stuff that we are. They, they, they think they're above it. But I, long story short, yeah, you just keep doing what you're doing. You, you're, you're essential to this. Thank you. Yeah. You too. Can only try, right? So <laughs> is there anything we missed? I feel like we, we, we covered the well, gamut of everything Josh Bayer. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably there'll probably be something that comes to comes to us like uh, next day, but there's always future interviews. Oh man! Hey, open door policy. You can come back anytime you want. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, um, people. If you haven't already, go to Josh's website, joshbayer.com. He he has a, a little store in there that you can uh, seek his books, uh, buy them. They're awesome. And I forgot to mention. Jason is a huge original art collector. Jason, did you yes, sir. did you know that I have a Josh Bayer original? I do know. Of course, I know that. It is it is my prized possession. Remember, Josh, when you were doing the Kickstarter? I think it was for um, Suspect Device Number Four. Uh, yeah, that's the last one I did. I think I do remember this. What yeah, was it? It was uh, you did a Nancy 
with a man thing genitalia for me. I love it so much. Uh, So go there, joshbayer.com. Anything else we should uh, throw at them? Pick up the all-time comics, uh, season one, and more importantly, the forthcoming season two. Put that on your radar. And what else? Um, Yeah, that's about about covers it. Um, I have all six issues available on my website. I should probably make like a, you know... Get all six for a lower price type of deal, but um, maybe I'll make that something that I do. Uh, yeah, um, reach out to me if anybody has any commissions, or you're always up for that. And uh, uh, that's about it. Read all my comics. Yeah, do yourself a solid and read Josh Bayer's comics. Yes, he's awesome. Hmm. All right, Josh, thanks for being here, man. It, it was such a pleasure having you here. You too. Thank you. Great conversation. Yes, as always. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. My man. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh, best Ooh. episode ever, right? Best episode <laughs> best ever. Episode of oh. Uh, man. No. You know, the older I've gotten, the more I've enjoyed giving gifts at like Christmas than getting them. Yeah. And as much as we've done a ton of interviews over the years, many of which were heroes or or huge you know people i'm huge fans of uh i have to say i take i took even greater pleasure uh much like when we had like matt wagner on for dap seeing like one of your faves have a chance to come on and just just that effervescence yes of your of your karma pouring through not one of my faves my fave i know your fave your boo top of the heap yep and what's even and and from where i'm sitting I I enjoy not just having Vince's the boo on the show, but the fact that we can kind of just sit back and let him riff and yeah. just and it's I mean you know it's had a couple of questions got to ask him and and but it was basically whatever was on his mind. He, he he got to get out there, and I think that there there are times because we've established it. You know, it's we don't really uh, we don't consider ourselves an interview show. We don't have people on because you can go anywhere else to get have Q and A's done. We just we 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 like the conversational aspect of it. But I mean, having never spoken to Josh myself, just to hear the thought process and and just the whole stream of consciousness thing it was I, I had a blast. Yeah, he's amazing. There, there's definitely a common ground. Um, again, I mean, I said it during the interview, but there used to be an aloofness to the the alt cartoonists, and mm-hmm. they, they wouldn't parlay, they they wouldn't play in our sandbox because it was demeaning or beneath them. But the the new the guys coming up now, or the, I don't want to say coming up, the established um, alt guys, they don't care. They they love all kinds of comics, and it's 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 so gratifying to 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 hear that and to see that because it's all comics, it's all good. One yeah, one for sure. One person's Watchmen is another person's Trencher, and vice versa. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah. And um, just in case you didn't catch it when uh, Josh was speaking, the collected edition of all his ROM stuff, which will be titled RM. Your brain will fill in the, the middle part. 
uh, is coming from Tinto. So yes. keep, keep on the lookout for that. And um, just go to joshbayer.com. Get his stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody on Facebook said Vince rarely steers you wrong. I'm not steering you wrong this time. This is this is the artist. He will fill your soul with such goodness and scary stuff that uh, <laughs> you know you'll be back for more. All right, let's let's do some other stuff. Come on, we're still here. <laughs> uh, what what would you like to, to discuss? Oh my goodness! I gotta put words in your mouth. No, uh, well, listen. I mean, um, you're capable. I will. No, I will say. I'll get back to my uh, in my introduction this this uh, evening. Uh, I introduced myself um, with the given name of a certain character in a certain book that you turned me on to. I know. Oh, I didn't know if you had read it yet. Do tell. Uh, I, that is the name of the Satan character from Maestro's number five. Yes. And I read Maestro's three, four, and five this week since we last recorded. And it is an awesome book. So I mean, good. we sung its, we sung its praises when it, the first second, but, but, I mean, but, but it, it is, it is building momentum. Um, Scrosi's art is terrific. It's, um, it's a book that's not taking itself seriously at all. No. Right, right. And it's uh, it's it's it is a lot of fun. I have to say, I, I I'm fully on board with it now, and I, I love this this aspect of um, I don't know. He, he's just having a lot of fun, you know. Not it, it, it's a much more polished, finished look artistically than say like the stuff that you know Josh or or uh, or, or like or Ben Mara or whatever do. But but it's got that same kind of like underlying aesthetic, which is that. It, it's it's taking tropes and kind of like just putting them out there, to let them being what they're what to let them be what they are without being apologetic about it. Just kind of celebrating the silliness of comics at, at points, um, and and that's a lot of fun. It's it's great. So, it's, I, uh, it's definitely a more sculpted look. Sure, yeah. Yeah. right. Yeah. But you know, not to put words in the guy's mouth, but Josh is not a P. Craig Russell. He does not sculpt every line. He there's a, a cumulative effect to all those marks. That's where he's coming from. I, I wish we brought this up while he was here. I mean, he could mm-hmm. he could have said it himself. Whereas Scrosi and guys like P. Craig Russell, they're coming from a different angle, but they're arriving at the same place. I mean, how badass is that? That dude's dude's ready to eat him because his dad, the former maestro, tortured him, <laughs> and then he gets in his good graces by reversing the curse, which took away the devil's dick. <laughs> the devil had no dick. <laughs> this dick. Our, our man, the maestro, gave him back his dick—a giant devil dick. Gotta love it. I gotta tell you, this week was uh, was one that made me wonder uh, what has come of my comics reading because I read three different comic series this week that featured male genitalia prominently. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what that says. You're doing it right. Guess I'm doing it right. Yeah. Nothing wrong with a little dick. This, uh, Jimmy's bastards. And then the book that I can, uh, tag on at least with that. I don't know if you read it. Um, the third dick book of the week was uh, deathbed. Number one. That's my new travels tonight. Oh, all right then. 
I guess we'll save it for that. Why don't, why don't we do that? Hey, everybody. This awesome, spectacular, best ever episode of 11 O'Clock Comics has been brought to you by Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com, where you can get all your stuff, get it fast, get it delivered right to your door for a mere fraction of what everybody else is paying. Action Comics, 1000 Three ninety nine. That's half off. Aliens, Dust to Dust by Gabriel Hardman, number one of four, dollar ninety nine. And from Boom, RoboCop, Citizens Arrest, number one, one dollar ninety nine cents. In your travels, my Yorkies are going crazy. Um, I do not remember. I'm old, so memory is fleeting, but I don't remember being as awestruck with the visual language of uh, an artist as much as I have reading Renato Geddes' work on Exo Manowar number 10. Mm. It will be somewhere in my 11 o'clockers. And um, it's uh, Renato is going on to Bloodshot. He's doing the Book of Death. But Exo Manowar, number 10. Exo done fucked up. <laughs> Arik screwed up. In, in liberating the planet, he destroyed the very mechanism which keeps all of the various life forms alive. He... he stopped um there are certain slaves that fulfill a role and other mm-hmm. people other people depend on the products of these slaves for sustenance and the whole working of this civilization is hanging by a thread now he 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 obliterated the status quo for everyone. And he screwed up. He, he, he wanted to be the liberator and he did just that. And in doing so, he didn't take a step back and look at the long game and the planets in, in peril. Renato Geddes comes in to illustrate the bounty hunters that were dispatched to end Exo's uh, rule over this planet this is an absolutely spectacular looking issue. Uh, David, you read this? As did I. Oh, you did? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't read it yet. Am I, I did, yes. am I lying, Jason? You are not lying. It's uh, Exo. Well, we've said this many times about Valiant. I know people chuckle because we talk about Valiant a lot. And I, I know that it doesn't sell a lot. But dude, the quality, like we said when Jeff was on, the quality of the creators that they get to do these books is jaw dropping. Yep. It is jaw dropping. And Exos had a rotating cast of artists, but every one of them, mostly painters to this point, have been incredible. I mean the detail. I I, I feel like these guys it takes them must take them three months each to do these these issues. Yep. It's incredible. Did you see who's uh, on eleven? I I read eleven. Um damn it. Why isn't it coming to mind who's on 11 ryan boddenheim yes ryan boddenheim yes i forgot um to gary 
The Gary. That there's yeah. a, there's a sequence in here where there's a giant horned creature, and there are there are people that depend on this creature for sustenance, not the creature itself, but the parasites that live on the creature. And this um, this bounty hunter in his younger stages, um, he rescues somebody from this maximum security prison. You're wondering why would he go through all this trouble to rescue rescue this person? Well, it turns out they hop upon this creature, and it, it's like a needle in a haystack. They're they're this tiny speck moving along the 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 hair of this creature and they're trying to get the the uh the parasites and um this person saves the bounty hunter from what would no doubt be uh death and it is breathtaking the, just not only the creature but the action sequences the, the the parasite is appropriately disgusting and it's all painted and it's so gorgeous like like Jason said, I, I couldn't imagine producing work of this caliber on a monthly basis. Hmm. It, it is, this is European graphic album quality illustration. Damn. Yeah. yeah. It, it's magnificent. And, it, and it's just another issue of Exo Manowar. And they're very smart for, you know, kicking in a little more, getting the cardstock covers. It, it, they definitely stand out. This and Bloodshot and uh, Secret Weapons definitely rise to the top amongst all the other books on the stands because most publishers now are doing the self-cover, which I, I cannot stand, self-covers. That that means that the cover stock is the same thickness, the same weight as the interior stock. I think that's a cop-out. It's a cheat. I don't like it at all. I want my cover to be thicker, Valiant knows this, and they're doing it for certain books. I wish they did it for all, but what are you going to do? Exo's um, a winner, month in, month out. Yeah, check it out. Exo Manowar, now on issue, by the time this comes out, 12 is on the horizon, so just keep an eye out for Exo. Go buy them all. It's been great since uh, Jump. Written by like uh, some guy named Matt Kent. I heard of him. Yeah. Woohoo. Ah, in your travels, uh, as not so much teased as just outright said earlier, uh, from Vertigo, new number one, or new series, number one came out, I believe, today. Uh, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Riley Rossmo with um, even Placentia uh, on colors, and it is Deathbed, and it is gorgeous. Um, the bed that eats. Basically, it's, it, it's a um, our we're we're introduced to Valentine Val Richards, who uh, wants to be more. Than a ghostwriter, and not not a ghostwriter, not not Johnny Blaze, but a ghostwriter, and she uh, she has to take on a job 
where she's going to write the biography of someone who has apparently lived an awful long time. I'm not going to um, go too deep into this because uh, I want you all to read it. It's it, it's it's weird. I I think I like the way it's written, but there are some pages where I'm like, damn, that's a whole lot of text covering up some beautiful Riley work. So, uh, but the the words serve a purpose. Everything makes sense. That Riley and, and Joshua aren't mm-hmm. contradicting each other. One being redundant. Um, the similar to the Batman Shadow book, Riley does not. Uh, cheap out on the uh the backgrounds the design work of of this house that they're in the creatures that are being fought uh the um male genitalia that is on display there is a there's a lot to take in and val is one of my it's first time i've i've met her and she's quickly becoming one of my favorite characters i i I like the attitude i like the look there's a double page spread that i am absolutely floored by uh and would love to own but knowing riley and knowing felix that's probably not going to happen so uh i would just um and and there is an another beautiful double page spread where you kind of see our hero of the story uh antonio luna uh through the years and that kind of and and it's done it's the storytelling trick where you kind of uh get everything you need to you 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 learn everything across a couple of pages with a couple of words here and there from the staff the house staff uh but the pictures also tell the story and 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 kind of get you caught up so it's there isn't a lot to guess or wonder about some of the characters in the book it it's all right here on the page but it is absolutely gorgeous uh i am very happy with this first issue glad i decided to give it a shot and um and that's that's primarily because riley is drawing it but uh that is my in your travels for this week. So boo, when you say the double page spread, are you talking about the one with her on the John? Yes. Man, y'all, if you don't haven't read this book, you need to read it. Cause Dap's a little freak. He's a freak. <laughs> Dude, Dap never talks about wanting to buy art. And he hits me up. Son, I got to get up on this double page spread, son. And I'm like, Oh, I got to peep this. I got to read this on the way home. And I'm reading it. I'm like, what the, and then, Dude, this page is the 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 protagonist sit, sitting on a john, legs akimbo, the panties around her ankles, yeah, yeah. dropping a deuce or peeing. I don't know which either. But uh, and then in the background, there's all kinds of scenes of her like making out with dudes, making out with chicks, a used condom. You're a stone cold freak, son. Stone cold freak. We should have a club. How many of us own? Original toilet art, art with toilets, yeah. Because yeah, well, right I, now you're the lead. I'm in the lead with the, the <laughs> grave transfers yeah. page. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, I. It's another thing that that has me spitting my by Val is I. I've known, I know, I have friends. She is 
she reminds me of people in my life. So it's not it, it's it's not so much that it's it's an out of this world comic character. It's just I I get the attitude. I get where she's kind of coming from. She has a look that is very familiar to me based on other women in my life. So there's just there's I don't know I I don't know if Riley knows somebody who looks just like this. I don't know if Joshua was like, listen, we want to make her a little short, little you're, little you're thick smitten. in places. You are smitten. I, I he am, is smitten. I am, man. I don't know what the and, and I can't. I know. And she, and for her to let her hair down, man, because that is going to just blow my mind. Dude, we better not let Renee listen to this episode because she won't. She won't. Just just the black hair part at the top. Yeah, she'll but, run to my arms. Let her listen to it. Of course. She, well, I mean, yeah, she'll have a. I mean, up. girl is uh This girl is 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 thick. Number yeah, one, she's short, and she's crazy short. She's short. She got like like silver hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a freak up in here. Who knew? Deb got the chubby. He got the freak. <laughs> the chubby for the chubby. Damn. Yeah. All so right, on that note, damn. <laughs> um, <laughs> go on about that song again, please. <laughs> um, in your travels, uh, I would love you all to continue the journey with me, uh, as uh, Mr. Kari Andrews takes us. Uh, on season two of Renato Jones. Ah, yes. Um, this book is an unapologetic, over-the-top, uh, adrenaline action comic where, essentially, Renato Jones is Bruce Wayne if Bruce Wayne was uh, a fan of Lethal Force and a little bit of a sadist. And... I talked at length about the first uh, trade when it hit. I was a big fan of it, and um, and season two just came out called uh, Freelan- the Freelancer. Uh, it it's if if the first one was like uh, if the first one was like an over the top action movie, this is like a John Woo Hong Kong film where John Woo free based cocaine. Uh, every day before he decided to film the scenes, like it's it's ridiculously over the top, uh, which I think serves the idea of the book well. And um, you know, we 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 are aware, and I've talked about the fact that uh, um, politics tend to, I mean, tend to creep into comics, uh, especially at times like this. And sometimes you want an escape. I mean, sometimes it's fine, but sometimes you want an escape. Um, in this case, basically, this is Renato Jones, who is a one percenter, going to war and killing every one percenter that he comes across. Uh, and uh, there are certainly some overt political underpinnings to some of the narrative, but it's it's buried down deep. There's a lot of, of veneer of ridiculous, ultra-violent, um, you know, action porn on top of it. And... Uh, and I, 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 you can tell that this is a passion project for, for Kari. Um, I don't think he's ever looked better. And uh, it's, it's great stuff. I mean, visually, it's, it's, it's alarming stuff. It's, it reminds me a lot of, um, of uh, Huddleston in, um, oh, God, what, I can't think of the name of the book now. Butcher Baker. The book, the, yeah, Butcher Baker. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of that. It definitely reminds me a little bit of uh, some of the stuff that, that – that, that Wes has been doing so well in Deadly Class the last few years. So, um, and this is uh, this is all Kari. This is 100 percent 
He's the writer, the artist, he draws the covers. Um, he may not do the lettering, but I think he does everything else. So give it a try. Renato Jones, season two, The Freelancer, my image. Sweet. You know, I didn't bring up Blind Justice number two. I wanted to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we really didn't talk about the issues. No, we did not. Um, which I thought was our homework assignment. So. Yeah. It, well, yeah, but you're, you're better people for having read them. Oh, for sure. No, 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 for sure. I'm right. I'm right. Yes. All right, everybody. Hey, once again, we thank you so much for being here with us. Come back next week. We'll have something waiting for you, whatever it well, is. We will, we, well, we will definitely have, since next Wednesday is the last day of the month, we will have Next Wave for you. Yes. Oh, and, and speaking of that, um, we have shout-outs. Yes, we have. I got one. You got the other. We have a Mr. Chuck White. Thank you very much. Yes, and uh, Chris, I, I, I hope I'm getting your name right. If not, hit me up with a message and let me know, but I believe it's Chris Malkevich. Um, so thank you to you as well, Chris. Yes. Cool story, Vince. Chris is um, – he just started listening to the show. He, he uh, actually got turned on to us through um, through Felix, through uh, ah, my nice. show when I was on Felix's show. He's a big-time original art collector, and uh, he he started listening after he heard me on Felix, and then he just decided to become a patron because he said we do uh, the best comics podcast he's ever heard. Oh, so, damn. That I Felix. Like that. All roads lead to Felix. Seriously. Good Love stuff. Him. And, and we'd also like to thank uh, Abamusa Mosafasa. Our newest um, Patreon. I just didn't want to be left out because <laughs> you guys did him, and I'm here. He he's uh, in our. Um, that sounds like a name of somebody artist. that I just I just banned from applying to be part of our group. Actually, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, he's he's in our. Um, what tier is it? He is the. Um, He's in the no more part time lovers tier. He's he's giving us twenty five thousand dollars per month, so we can do this full time. So thank you. Uh, I even forgot his name, Abamusfa. Already. Yeah, he's the best. I don't know. Around. I'm gonna sleep like a baby tonight. Yeah, you're all content and shit. Yeah, I was nervous all day, but I'm I'm okay. You now. were. I was. That doesn't you happen. Were. Doesn't happen. You're cute. Just so, make sure you don't. You uh, just make sure you, you you book his return appointment before uh, he forgets about us. Fourth chair. Seriously, how cool would it be to have him every week? I don't think we could we could contain your excitement. <laughs> hey, I know Jason and I won't have to worry about talking as often. Come come True. back, come back next week. You know the drill. Salty, we can't have it. So you better be here. Next weave. Say goodnight. for next weave. Fleshy beings. Ed David. Oh. <laughs> Good night. You didn't do the whole fleshy thing. Yeah, David. Nice. And while you're at it, come to our Patreon site, uh, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, one one. O'clock, no apostrophe, comics, blah, blah, blah. Um, you will see 
one of the sexiest covers Adam Hughes has ever done. Am I wrong? That's saying something. Don't you think that Legion cover is, is one of the sexiest oh, covers? Oh, yeah, for sure. That is hot stuff. The look in her eye, whoo, good God. Um, and we're on the Facebooks and we're on the Twitter. Just Just come hang out with us. Go home. If you're already home, go kiss somebody you love. And mm-hmm. we'll be back next week. Bye. Yes, sir.